Welcome to The Old World Lives, a Warhammer Fantasy Battles podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Old World Lives, on Instagram at The Old World Lives, and you can reach us by email at theoldworldlives at gmail.com. And now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of The Old World Lives, a Warhammer Fantasy podcast. I'm Christopher, and with me tonight, I have the usual companion, Niklas. Hello. And we finally managed to resurrect him. This is the one, the only, Krell. Let's play Where's Krell. He's right here, back again. And back from the mists, from the long lost times of, might be in a few episodes ago, I'm not sure that I remember anymore. There's been a lot going on lately. And that is Jens. I'm back. Woohoo. Yeah. I don't know when we had Jens on last. I remember last episode uh, you were on Jens, and then someone uh, was talking maybe about that episode, and they're like, "Oh, who's that other guy who was on though?" And this is Jens. Don't you know Jens? I think I, Jens. I think it was either a Rene episode or like a Christmas opposite uh, episode. Uh, I think it was the Rene episode, or like you joined for an outro recording or something. Yeah, or just the uh, dangle at uh, the prospect of talking to Thomas Pirnan and Jens will be right there. Ah, that's true. It might have been the Warhammer interview, actually. Yeah, yeah maybe. We, I we don't sh- know. We had Jens on just to balance out the humors. With Rene, we needed someone who's a bit more sanguine than the usually phlegmatic Rene. But yeah, we usually just wave the Pirnan card to summon Jens from his mighty beard. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And... Since it's been a long time since he's been on, uh, Jens, what have you been doing in the hobby? Have you been doing anything? Oh yeah, I I was supposed to base my uh, Woodwolf army while recording this, but then we talked about everything uh, between heaven and earth while uh, I did that. So now that we started recording, I have no fantasy stuff to paint at the moment. But uh, a thousand points of Woodwolves are ready and based. They've been unbased for about a year or something, so it felt good to just sit down and do that. What kind of wood else do you have? Do you have old school wood else? Everything is metal. No plastic. Nice. And an outtake from what we discussed before when Jens managed to base his entire wood force is Feanor did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, that sums it up. Feanor, stop. Not again. These are my Robert jewels Woodles, and uh... I'll kill everyone. <laughs> Metal Woodhouse were my first uh, Warhammer army, so now that I have a thousand, but I have like a thousand more ready to be painted, but uh, that's for another day, but it feels good to be back to my roots. So how about a thousand point, uh, like a campaign, border prison campaign force out of them? Yes, that's about what I have. I have like two units of archers, some way watchers, some dryads, and uh, a mage. So that's what we the business call a sixth edition auto win. Yeah, yeah, it's been what fifteen years since I played uh, Woodles on the table last. So we'll see if the the old uh, just stand there and shoot them tactic still works. I'm gonna amend that. It's been fifteen years since James since Jens' old gaming group got together, tied him to a share and beat him with an inch of his life to never play Woodhouse <laughs> again. However, they've all disbanded, they all have kids, and Jens finally feels safe to bring out some Woodhouse again and have a, quote, casual, friendly game, end quote. How many tree men do you have, Jens? Uh, just, just the one. Just the one in a thousand-point yes. army. 
Uh, he's not in the Thousand Point Army, but when I'm playing against you, I'll make sure he's fully painted and ready to go. Can't you just place your... What is the Banshee next to it? Just to make mess with him. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think the Tree Man has a leadership of like six or something, so I don't know how to fight him. It has stupidity, right, Jens? No, he's not stupid. He's pretty smart for a tree. <laughs> and then you upgrade him to an ancient and he's a mage. Oh yeah, but I'm running with the with the old uh, wooden books, so not not the new six point five one. So what what the, do you mean the six point five? There is only one. There is only one. Yeah, disc. but it's, uh, it's it's supposed to be like the Ravening Horde's uh, kind of force. So oh, that's we'll right. are you that's using the nice. the Ravening Horse or the Chronicles? Uh, probably the Chronicles. Nice. Yeah, I think I did the same if I was playing Wolves, especially with the, those old models, because there is like a yeah. big split in the the style. Of them as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, the next time we meet, we should have a proper like shoot off. So you can bring your like elite, keen-eyed, eagle-faced archers, eagle-eyed, whatever, and I'll bring my <laughs> Tomb Kings BS2, <laughs> no penalty <laughs> to shooting, like archer skeleton army, and, and we'll just have it a laugh. Actually, really good against widows and skirmishing yeah. and in the forest, always hitting on fives. You, you're saying this like this would be like a joke good, thing. It's actually really good, strong. Good for who? Good for yeah. who? I have B. I have BS two, dude. Yeah, but my yeah. Waywatcher is trying to hide in a wood. That's not going to help him. Yeah, what in a forest in skirmishing? Normally, people would be hitting them on either sixes or sevens, and you're always hitting on fives, no matter range. I, I'm going to tell you, my entire army is a bone giant, one scorpion, five bases of swarms, 32 archers, <laughs> one tomb prince, one tomb king, one lich priest. That's it. <laughs> That's you a thousand points. You need to points. paint up uh, Khalid and add in later. Yeah. Well, I actually started working on free chariots until I realized that the minimum size of a group of chariots is five. Uh, so really? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Uh. While you're uh, at that's it. a Krell snort of guarantee. Yeah, so while you're at it, what, what have you been doing lately? Uh, actually, uh, actually, except for correcting you guys on the deep lore of Tolkien and Silmarillion and doing poor imitations of uh, Northern English accents, which for the guys of you who are still alive, it basically sounds like any side character from Harry Enfield and Chums. If you get that, if you get that reference, then come on. Niklas, I know you can't concentrate, but just pop two energy drinks and play some Fortnite and listen up. Uh, beyond that, I think since the last time we spoke, I finished up like my Army Box Limited Edition Vampire Counts uh, BSB guy, uh, the one who has like a flayed dude as a banner. I finished that up and I did another Blood Dragon because, you know, everybody needs five Blood Dragon models in metal. They're just that hot. Well, and uh, recently, yeah, like question about your armor count. Do you have different like units that you have your different themes of bloodlines, or do you swap the leader out? Uh, it depends, actually. If I play the blood dragons, I tend to go heavier on the theme of grave guards and skeletons. Uh, I would never have ghouls when I play uh, the blood dragons army, but now I have a strigoi, so I can actually use them. For the von Karsteins, I think pretty much everything goes for me because it even says in the book uh, they're like the generic bloodline. So I'm going to say yes. It, depending on what vampire I have, it sort of depends on how I theme the army. And if I take a Necrock character, I just bring out my biggest shit-eating grin and like sip some absurd liqueur as I weep, as my enemies weep. Because I've learned now that Necrocks are apparently the most OP broken part of vampire counts. 
they're the stronger magic guy. Yes, those are the stronger magic guys who can like buy extra power dice and like steal the opponent's power dice and get extra power levels and <laughs> it's just yeah. Not all vampires are made equal apparently. Oh, also I managed to with Nicholas' help, uh, I found a second and a third Lamia character. So now I need to paint up my two Lamians. I have the one with a snake on her wrist and the one with a skull staff and a spell familiar. And thanks to Nicholas, I have the horse ridden one as well. Yeah, can did I did I buy that in Sweden and send to you, or did I get it in England? Send it to you. Send it. You got it in England. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you did uh, together with the Necrarch, uh, the Necrarch horse riding guy. I'm looking for a word here. What do you call a guy on a horse? Not cavalry. He's mounted? yes, yes. I can't say lamed mounted though. People just laugh. But you guys get what I mean. So it's better to that, say mounted than horse ridden. Which implies the horse is riding the vampire that you did before. <laughs> we, we need to make some sort of cap. Yeah, so anyway, when I finish up the Lamians, I'm just going to put up uh, all the bloodlines I have. Because then I officially have painted one, at least one model of each bloodline. Uh, so I'm going to take like a group picture. Uh, with the the, uh, the danger of uh, sidetrackings again. But are there any bloodlines that are not represented in the game? So That's I'm true. Cafe or Nippon or something? I don't know. It's a really good question. Uh, it's actually covered in the Warhammer Fantasy role-playing game and some of the like older books. Uh, I think the Genevieve uh, Chronicle basically talks about cafe vampires and the fact that vampires who come from older bloodlines around Musillon could be a bit different. So I'm going to say no uh, with a caveat, and that would be the Vampire Coast, who got a very limited, I think, 6.5 release. Please correct me, Chris would know that. And I would even go so far to say that the one thing everybody always wanted to see was Aborash, you know, the OG blood dragon who went into a coma and drank the blood of a literal dragon. But as far as like bigger major bloodlines, no, I think they covered all of them. And then, of course, for 7th edition, they became special abilities. And for 8th edition, I guess they became like skill point upgrades. I don't even know anymore. Yeah, I think the there was a, the Vampire Coast or, well, the zombie, zombie Coast, I think it was from the Lustria campaign. They got limited release in White Dwarf for one character, I think uh, one or two units, and a cannon or something like that. Yeah, they had the cannon, they had the, like the shipmate crew, which would basically be as two blunderbuss guys with stupidity. And they had that one vampire coast model who has a rough and a dagger. And every now and again, you see him on like an old hammer trading site for 50 pounds, and people just tend to buy him for 75. It's a yeah. cool model, but you know. That was the basis in six. I think it was expanded later on, and it was definitely expanded in uh, uh, Total War. Was it the second? Yeah, Total War. Right? Uh, yeah, Total War Two. I think like the fifth DLC. The thing yeah. with sixth edition was, which is so great, is basically gave you like one character and then a bunch of stuff, and they're like, "This is how you convert stuff for free, or by combining bits, we'll give you their store." It's just it was a heady time to be alive. Or in kindergarten in Jens and Nicholas' case. Ah, I'm older than Nicholas. Don't put me in the same age group as Nicholas. Technically, aren't oh. we all the same age group, so to speak? Except Nicholas. I found out okay, that super. I'm fairly uh, millennial. Yeah, you ruined the millennials. Move on. <laughs> Uh, beyond that, I think I finished up my Tomb Kings since last time. No, wait, I've spoke about that like five times. Those were definitely done. I did some more Skaven. Uh, I did like a weapon team, the old third edition metal one, which is like, you know, you have to hook them together on a cavalry base. And I bought a gun of Night Runners with slings. 
uh, which was nice. really hard to put together. So now you finally got a Mordheim warband as well. Oh god, no. Just rats with slings. I've heard that the only people who do that consistently are uh, Sconish power gamers and African warlords who have already committed other war crimes. <laughs> Possibly. But uh, you haven't shown off your Skaven to us, I think, so you have to do that. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah, the thing is, I wasn't super happy with them. It's just like a bunch of the stuff I'm painting right now because I had COVID. And if anybody out there has COVID and went to the hospital, you have everyone on my sympathy because me and my family, my wife has it way worse and she's a real hero. She's carrying the entire family. But basically, I wound up pretty easily. And now we're in the middle of a move. So everything I paint, I'm like, this is crap and I should feel bad. Uh, so I don't really take a lot of pictures anymore, but I'll, I'll get back to that. I'll try to pick it up again. Stay healthy, stay safe, wash your hands. Pretty much. So, Nicholas, you've been doing a lot lately, especially yes. Mordheim stuff. Yeah, so I, I bought a Kislev Mordheim Warband on uh, on eBay, which sounds like uh, I will be totally broke now, but I got it for a really good price. Just uh, was a bad guy and sniped it at the end, so you should do. And uh, painted that up. And I will actually play it for the first time tomorrow, going to Joseph's that I did the Bretonia special with. And uh, yeah, we're going to start a campaign. Uh, so before that, I uh, painted the warband up and then I also built some wagons for my Kisselite. And uh, yeah, I built two war wagons and one like traveler wagon. And uh, yeah, after that, I didn't really have anything else to paint, but then I was really itching for something to paint. So I did, I painted up those two dark elf sorcerers that I had laying around for a while. And then I was just cursing the fact that I don't have a dark elf army to paint here in this country. But then I thought, well, I do have that chaos army that's been laying around forever. And I should definitely start painting that at some point. So I started painting it. It looks really effective on the, when you rank it up. It looks really good. Thanks. Yeah, uh, went for this. Uh, so I, I had the theme decided for a long time, and it's gonna be they're gonna be like followers of Balakor. And uh, I actually did think of this before the new Balakor model came out. So I, I'm still uh, Warhammer hipster. Uh, I would like you to fit the new Balakor on the correct base for this edition. <laughs> you just put him on his toes like a ballerina. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see the sort of fantasy carrying case that could fit Bellacor. I don't know. That seems your main point about this model. But then, like, you owned an entire night house for 30k at one point. So I, I don't get your gripes. Well, I mean, I literally moved that night house around with, like, a moving box. I had a big cardboard <laughs> box that you have when you move an apartment. And I wrapped each and every one of them lovingly in bubble wrap. So I know the sort of horrors transporting Bellacore would entail. And the thing is, he has these huge wings. And the wingspan is, like, it increases the diameter of the model exponentially. At least mm. the knights where, you know, they have pretty yeah. solid parts. Yeah, and they got to be pretty, I, like... Uh... Fragile as well, right? Like pretty thin plastic pieces. Yeah, I have like, a, if you remember, I did build a terror geist for fantasy, and it has similar wings, but it's it's a real shit show to transport. Sorry about swearing. That mm. being said, I, I I really like your Mordheim Kislevite. Um, yeah, Nicholas, I really really love your Mordheim gang. It looks amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with them. It's nice to uh, paint some more Kislevites again. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun because they're like all pretty individual. Uh, it's also pretty annoying because I I like 
like painting things in an assembly line fashion and just doing one paint because I also use Vallejo paints and just squirt them out on my paint tray and then I want to use that color as much as I can. Uh, and I kind of use the same colors for all of them, but like all of the colors are in different places. So uh, while I'm painting a regiment, you can use like, oh, uniform, this color, pants, that color, boots, that color. But these guys are all like had all kinds of different clothing. This is just a pain in the ass to, to mass paint. Uh, it was fun, different painting experience. Yeah, you have to be careful so that your alcohol-based Vallejo gold and metals don't dry out, Nicholas. How are your paints, Nicholas? How are your paints? The the curse of dust. The curse of spell is curse of spell is a twelve inch direct damage curse, which dries out all your most expensive paints. <laughs> it lowers the toughness of your paint by two d six. So speaking of kids level, how about those uh, Warhammer trailers, the Total War ones? Yeah, god damn it, yes, I. Uh, it's a bit annoying because I get like really. Uh, turn on to do some kiss up but then i'm thinking like uh if i expand my army now then uh, when kiss up finally drops i'm gonna <laughs> already have like a massive army so I, I gotta keep myself in check and wait for the, the actual release it's just time to convert those uh strelzy so you can have those rifle pole arms yeah well i have one in my uh more hand more band. uh yeah yeah, and don't forget yeah, to get that. Expensive. Yeah, don't forget to get that like Lorgan Grimnair ice slay thing. You can get for the case. You can have some ice slays, Nicholas. That's a real integral part of the lore. Yeah, the the thing is like, it seems like the the people that usually complain about warm releases are really salty about the amount of ice, and it is a bit like Space Wolf, Wolfie McWolf, Wolf, Wolf, but. At the same time, uh, I've been thinking about this. So, Kislev in Sex Edition is pretty close to like historical armies. It, it's basically like a Polish, Lithuanian, or Muscovy army mashed together. And like when I'm thinking about building an army, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to totally have this be like an historical army. But then, like, I come up against elves or goblins or lizard men and shit, and they are like full of magic. And, uh, I don't really mind that they're taking it in a more like magical and fantastical direction, really, because they already done this work. And if I really want to play historical poles, then I'll just play by fire and sword or something. I am excited, but the ice chair is fucking ridiculous because it's also the thing I'm thinking of. Like it, you shouldn't really use magic for such mundane shit. So you uh, mean you shouldn't use magic to have a bear? Travel carrying a giant cannon on ice. Yeah, well, that's the thing. But uh, the Serena like built an entirely new wing of her uh, palace with ice, just because she wanted to. So it's also I... like, do you really need to do that? Isn't that like pretty dangerous? And that, and another yeah, thing, yeah, she should really have, she should really just have let that go. She should just let it go. She just <laughs> let it go. Another thing, though, with Kislev and magic is that uh, you'd think that magic is pretty dangerous because they're drawing on the, the winds of magic and shit. But the thing with Kislev is that it's pretty unclear if they're actually using the winds of magic because the magic is coming from the land of Kislev itself, which is also like uh, makes me vomit in my mouth a bit thinking of the, the newer Space Wolf fluff. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the Dark Angels fluff. Yeah. Because you think. 
yeah. like fantasy Russia, Anastasia land, uh, it makes more sense. And I'm, I'm more fine with it in a fantasy setting than in a sci-fi setting. So if I get this right, you're basically saying that the Anastasia 1997 movie is a better lower representation than the new Total War game. Because I'm behind that. I mean, they're they're similar. I'd say they're similar. Like Anastasia is not that uh, magical. There's like a, a spin-off movie of that. If anyone saw that, where they're following like her sidekicks and where they meet Baba Yaga and shit. Yeah, it's all about the bat thing. Yeah. Yeah. So in that, like that, that kind of fantastical like idea of what Russia is, uh, I like because if you make it too historical. It's gonna be pretty crap, I think. It's just so dark and boring. Like, like if you actually read about the story of Moscow, it's just like dudes assassinating each other and making coups every other day, and that's like the entire history until Peter the Great. Well, as as the saltiest member of this group when it comes to new things. I gotta say two things. First one is I was really skeptical against a lot of stuff in Total War Warhammer 2, like the Vampire Coast, like the expanded Wood Elf mechanic, but I really liked most of it, to be honest. And I'm gonna actually go out on limb and be positive because I'm pretty sure it'll be a fun game. And sure, it'll be some wacky, like dense stuff, but with Kislev, you have such a blank page, and particularly as, and I'm sorry about this, Nicholas, a lot of fantasy players don't know a lot about Kislev because they didn't play it in 6th edition, and it disappeared out of 6th edition. So I'm going to be like pretty positive. I think it might be good. I'm going to, they had, listen, they had a giant crab enemy, a crab boss <laughs> strike for maximum damage, and they have like a dude who's literally a living mast with a cannon for an arm, and it's it worked out. It's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Another thing with this is that they, they changed the lore between editions so radically that if you actually go and study it and say, like, this is not consistent with the previous edition, well, then you don't know Warhammer history. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, if you look at like Russian history, you have the Slavs and you have the Rus and you even have the Varangians. There's a lot of history because it hasn't been a homogenous culture for a long time. So this time, I'm going to say they went more for the Slavic mythology with like Chernobyl, Bialobok, and like uh, Perun. And they went a bit away from what we in the West would immediately identify as Russian. And that might just be because we don't know a lot about Slavic mythology, which is frankly pretty freaking awesome. They have a god who's basically two dudes and it's Bialobok and, and Chernobyl. So he's the god of white and the god of black and it's really cool dualism is heavily featured in slavic mythology as an integrated part of it and it's really cool so again check it out it gave us vampires it gave us rusalkas it gave us a lot of things if you ever played the witcher you're probably getting a real kick out of slavic mythology so i mean don't tell me that there's not a lot of like strange kooky mythological awesome badass shit in russian history it's just that Lately, when we in the West, and I might make an assumption, my generation, we think mainly of like the Soviet Union and the post-World War One, post-World War Two era. And that's very, you know, grim, austere and functional because everybody keeps rushing into the place trying to burn it down and conquer it. But I mean, sure, why not? It might be cool. And if Nicholas is okay with it, then I'm definitely okay with it. I must admit that while this was going on, I did take a detour to YouTube and watched the clip from the Anastasia movie when Masputin is singing In the Dark of the Night song. <gasps> In the Dark of the Night, will we find her. Ooh, oh. Yeah, it's exactly great. Exactly that one. <laughs> I just got so inspired, so I just had to go listen to it, so I missed most of what you were saying. 
<laughs> but one little girl got away, and I make all the royals pay. Those Vidanya, Anya, my dear. Yeah, no, it's it's like the yeah. one good thing in the entire movie. Yeah, it's that's that song is the best part of the movie, and it's <laughs> actually the best part of the Swedish dub dub of that movie as well. And it's really bad in Swedish. It's like the Mulan song when they sing, sing "I'll Make a Man Out of You" in Swedish. It's completely different, but it's hilarious and it's great. And I'm super yeah. grateful that my wife introduced me to it. The Swedish one is just freaking crazy. It's a bit like uh, it's been Google translated way before Google Translate as well, <laughs> because some of the words do not appear in the right order. If you didn't grow up in the '80s, you have to remember that this is when Sweden tried to like go full Germany and translate everything. We even tried translating The Simpsons for years. Yeah. and it went to hell. And the thing was, it wasn't the first season. They set no, it was broadcast, like season two and three. Yeah, they broadcast the first season in in English with Swedish subtitles. And then for the second season, they just, eh, we're just going to dub it. And no one watched it. They just got complaints, they said. Yeah, but my I mean, favorite Swedish translation of an English thing is the, the movie Them, about the giant ads. And in Swedish, it's called The Spiders. It's been like, <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> It's like he got a memo, like, oh, it's a movie about giant uh, spiders. Oh, giant bugs? Yeah, something like that. Okay, spiders. Send it out. But back to fantasy. Uh, super excited about his stuff. It's going to be awesome. What have you been up to, Chris? I'm currently painting the base colors on my wizard for the monthly challenge. And this blue is really, really not the shade of blue I wanted, but it will be okay in the end. Just trust the process. What is the blue you're using? The scale 75 sky blue. Is that going to be the theme of your elves? Or is it it's, uh, it's going to end up a bit like, uh, well, the blue will be end up like the one on uh, Eltharion that I painted earlier this year. Right. So it's not a sky blue, It's but it's still quite a decent bright blue nice yeah it's a really nice conversion you've done with that mage yeah it's it uh, was a bit uh, annoying so i had to find a open hand for them for a right hand which was not the easiest i used most of them that they had and i didn't want to just sculpt one because it's annoying to sculpt hand <laughs> other than that i started a little building project uh, with the luminate uh, shrine from eight of sigmar oh yeah it will become a gateway to a bridge of some sort it will even have a door nice haven't you heard of it haven't you heard that gatekeeping in a hobby is negative <laughs> that's why it's that way it's gonna have hinges so you can open it to let people in or something like that it will uh, you're ruining the hobby by including people and lowering the standards yeah i, I want to <laughs> i want to have more people in my hobby so we can have more people to talk to and play with and that's a bad thing somehow for some people that that's horrible and you should feel bad for saying it no i'm sorry yeah but that's pretty much the argument from some people oh how dare you want to have more people to be friends with but uh, it's gonna be a bit of a magnet fest later on because it's gonna be able to have a fully functioning bridge and it's gonna be able to remove that and have ruined bits magneted on instead depending mm -hmm. on what uh, I'm playing. Cool. I mean, if I'm going to go through the trouble of building the thing in the first place, just adding small bits to make it look ruined when you've removed the main the middle section of or the main walkway part of the bridge isn't that much more work. So look forward to see this completed in uh, 
2028, I think, on the current schedule. <laughs> yeah, but it's been the past weeks haven't been that much hobby done since I've become a grown up and gotten a job. Did you cut your hair? It was already pretty, pretty short. And that's what the crowd always tells me to do: cut my hair and get a job. Yeah, technically, I did cut my hair because I got a got a job and then I cut my hair. So. Uh, I lovely. I got a haircut and a job, and I'm pretty sure I'm the least mature person in this group. And I'm also like the oldest, heading out 2,000 years. Yeah. Quite kind of shows that with age does not come wisdom. It just comes talk. No, but knowledge. only humility. Yes, a you're tremendous the most humble talking knowledge. You're the most humble the, person everyone knows. I'm the best person at being humble than fucking is, and don't you ever tell me different. <laughs> Speaking of. Uh, let's move on to the news. And yeah, I'm going to go refresh my drink and you can all listen to uh, Krell the Magnificent. Or... Mine, 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 mine. Yeah. And he's going to talk about the new Stormcast release. Enjoy. I don't know. I don't know what Stormcast is, but it sounds horrible. Okay, so what do we have? What do we have? First of all, let's talk about Curse City. No, let's not. Okay, so basically the releases let's, are let's the not. new... Let's not. <laughs> let's Game not. don't want to talk about it either, so why should we? Let's not. It's a silly place after all. Uh, so the new thing out is Age of Sigmar's sort of, but not quite, Undead Faction. Because now they've split up in like four different ones. You have the spoopy, poopy ghosts, the vampire dudes, and like the ghouls, I think. Anyway, this is the relevant one. This week, Games Workshop had a preview about the new Vampire and the Undead releases. And just to get it said and out of the way, yes, this is very obviously the Curse City expansion, some of it. Some of these things are very obviously plot hooks, developments, and new things that should have been in future Curse City. I don't have a dog in that fight, so that's all I'm going to say about it. But it's pretty obvious. Because when you have one of the main bad guys come back as an even more powerful bad guy with an even bigger heroic rock, then obviously it's a sequel. They could have just called him like, I don't know, Gruber's brother from Die Hard 2 or something. (laughs) Obscure movie reference. I've been watching a lot of Community. So I'm going to start with what I really liked. And the new start collecting box, uh, which is basically, I think, 20 Graveguard. Uh, five Black Knights, and a new, I suppose, limited edition sculpt of a White King on a barded warhorse with a war lance and a shield. Uh, I really like this. As anyone has ever heard me talk, I've sort of been against having undead cavalry because I'm not super keen on painting undead horses and also like the stigmatism against anyone who would consistently play horses in 6th edition. <laughs> Nicholas. Uh, because they're pretty good. I, I mean, what question. Do yes. What is the difference between a lance and a war lance? Uh, I think the war lance gets usage. plus one. Yeah, usage. The so D D three yeah. plus one strength and D six plus one. The one you use. I don't know. War, the other one you used for poking peasants. Uh, yeah, and picking up barbecue. The lance is multi-nefarious. You can pick up barbecue, poke a peasant, like slap somebody who has a uh, Kislev army. You can do a lot of things with it. A war lance is dedicated for hunting down people who play Kislev armies. I've never won against Nicholas, and I never will, mainly due to my awesome attitude. Uh, no, I mean, and so the new start... Yeah. <laughs> that might be part of it, yeah. Uh, so the new start collecting box. I mean, 
the grave guard sculpts, I have 30 metal grave guards, and I've never really seen the need to get the plastic ones, but they're good looking. I'd probably use them as heavily armored elite skeletons for my Blood Dragon's army, uh, because Blood Dragon, Nishlis, and Sixth Edition can actually have grave guard as core, and I think these guys could be a good in between. Uh, is the Graveguard kit like a multi-kit that you can arm them with great weapons and stuff like that? Excellent really question, yes. Yes, you can either give them a great weapon, which is a two-handed axe, or a sword and board combo. Oh, nice. Well, you can use some skeleton warriors then, yes? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And if I could kit bash them, I'd probably want them to like carry their shields in a 45-angle degree. So just put some arrows in there too, because it's skeletons. They're going to get shot at. Maybe have one of them just blasted apart with a cannonball or something. But that's probably on my skills. Uh, the Black Knights look, I mean, they look fine. It's 8th edition, so it's a lot of details on it, but they look good. The new White King, I mean, me and Jimmy discussed this, but when you're going to put him on a cavalry base, just put him to the far right, because he has a weird angle where he sort of has one shield out and the warlands is like 90 degree bending. Yeah, he's man spreading like. <laughs> He's man-spreading, and his horse has his foot on a heroic rock. It's it's something else. But still, I mean... He's I, pretty much under from 6th edition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if if I had the ability, I would probably take this guy, uh, cross him with a big axe from like one of the uh, dwarf kits, and make him like a mounted krell. I, I know there's no such thing as a mounted krell. Uh, I am aware of this, but I would Why like not, rules for it. Uh... Why don't you just take the axe from the White King? Yeah, that might work, actually. That's a good idea. Thanks, Chris. That's good, uh, good. Yeah. In general, I was thinking just uh, reposting the last BI. Can you change it for something else? So. Yeah, he could be a BSB, too. I mean, that lance is easily made into a banner. If you, if for some reason you yeah. want a BSB White King on a horse. Well, rule of uh, cool. I mean, yeah, yeah. I actually found a pretty good store in Sweden that offers reasonable prices and quick deliveries. I ordered just two days ago, and I got my shipment today. So, I mean, yeah, I'll probably buy it. I think Chris gave me a heads up that this might be one of the more expensive starter kits, but we'll see what it costs. Yeah. I mean, if there are like two levels, like a, for Swedish prices, like 600 and 720 kroners. It's not that big of a difference, but it's if you count this, I read on someone else's comment, which is a data calculation. And given the kits in the box, it leans on being the more expensive version. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, Somebody will probably tell me, well, it's way cheaper than like buying these kits individually, but I'd never buy them individually, so we'll see. Yeah. Usually next... one at least one of the kits in a store collecting box is included in the price for the box, so to speak. Yeah. The next kit I actually really like is the new direwolves. Uh, the new direwolves are That's... just to summarize them, they're a bit more beefy. They're way more dynamic. One of them even has like a crow on his back eating parts of its vertebrae. And then they have one with like, I'm not a super fan of like modeled effects, but he has slavering jaws with drool running from them. I think two or three of them actually have drool on them. Uh, I like them. I like them way more than the seventh edition wolves. And I only use the old like fifth edition wolves, which hilariously enough are the goblin rider. They're like the wolf rider goblin wolf without anyone on their back. But I mean, I might get some of these. I can see myself buying them. Uh, they look cool. And I'm happy about them. I'm glad they're available as an option, if nothing else. Yeah, then we like come. Them. You don't like them? I, I really like them. Yeah, they're really good. Oh, okay. Sorry. I think these could probably, these could even be some really cool Nurgle hounds of chaos. Absolutely. Yeah. 
is or if you want to yeah, paint of different different yeah i think someone like you guys any one of you guys who paints way better than me could probably take these and make them really cool like cinch like cinch and magic infused wolves of chaos i know we can't give like chaos hounds marks but still i think that would be cool or maybe oh, for my beastmen why because <laughs> now i have a like an imp- Image in my head of a wolf, what they're called, like the vortex beast or mutalisk creature. Oh, yeah, but yeah. like smaller and just like wolves. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. You could probably have like two of these are jumping, you could probably have these jumping out of his slavering maw, like he just has a big chaotic portal within him, and these are escaping damned souls and given you shape. Oh, I'm thinking of like a, one of the small flamer, well, they're not, not flamer, what they call the small. The, the smallest one of those riding one of the wolves. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, what? Okay, so uh, let's move on to something you won't want to convert. Uh, they have someone known as Beladama Volga, for the first of the Vyrkos. And I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I'm actually not super mad on how they went with the sort of like Tartar, almost like the Romani vibe, because... Uh, with this, they're sort of harkening back to Bram Stoker's Dracula, with him being protected by his gypsies. We spoke about like Tolkien's influences, but I think this is just harkening back to Bram Stoker's Dracula, which obviously I've had to read under the contract of this podcast like five times. And I mean, they they look like I don't know, Cossackish. They look like the indigenous people of like the Slavs before it was a unified theme. With this guy, I'm not really sold because he has two wolves on his base. Okay, cool. He's riding one of them. Okay. With like, with a saber, but it's not really a saber. It's more like a scimitar, which isn't a cavalry weapon. Yeah, okay. He has wings. What? Yeah, he has wings for pauldrons. Okay. And he also has wolf legs. What? This is like wolfy mac wolf wolf on a wolf. And I'm not super sold. (laughs) I think he could be a cool vampire. He could be like a Strigo. He could be like a wolf form von Karstein, but it would take a lot of conversion. Just put him on a horse. I don't know why the wolf dude is riding one wolf and has another wolf slightly under him. I have very many questions. Yeah, the, like I, I do like the super mysterious vibe about him, and especially like you can barely see his face. He's sticking out from, uh, I don't know, some kind of clothing. But uh, yeah, the face is the coolest part. I think if you know the background, it might be cool. Yeah. It's just like very, very strange. But it's less strange than the cow elves. So, I mean, <laughs> well, apparently this is a woman. And I mean, yeah. sure, why not? I got a comment on this. And it says, if you know cars and have ever seen a Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, you might get this reference because it looks like it's been designed by at least two d- d- design teams. <laughs> yeah. Because the bottom of a Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross is like a SUV. Top half of a Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross is like a hatchback, and it's merged it in the middle. It looks ridiculous, and that is exactly how I feel about that miniature. And the other one, which is half dragon, half man, whatever it is, the dragon. Yeah, we'll get to that one. Yeah. But this one, I mean, the base is really good. I mean, Chris could probably do pure fucking sexy magic with the base. It's just stone and ancient. <laughs> it's an ancient way stone in a tree trunk struck by like brazen boulders and a strange cool angle. I mean, yeah, apart, so- I like the wolves. I like the base. I'd probably put that do- that woman, dude woman, I'd put that vampire person on a horse. But together, I'm going to say yeah. no. That uh, is quite a bit of a miniature tax on that base. Yeah. 
Uh, moving on, speaking of taxes, Radukar the Beasts. And I don't know if Games Workshop has that problem where one guy was never told that he was let go. Because it's like Radukar the Beast, in light of recent events. No spoilers here. Raduka underwent a hideous transformation into the hybrid form of a vampiric monster, now known as the Beast. He tears through anything in his path with racking claws and unearthly strength. And I'm like, hold on, okay, y'all can't make references to Curse City without acknowledging that Curse City existed. <laughs> but you can't you... be like, hey, remember this awesome thing that happened off screen? It's like if Peter Jackson made a movie called The Battle of the Five Armies and entitled just Orlando Bloom standing on a cliff, zoomed in on his face, talking about, oh, and now the dwarves are fighting off the orcs, and here comes the elves, it's amazing. Oh, what's this? <laughs> Gandalf is dueling a dude with two swords. Father, you should see it. Oh, there goes Father, mounted on a majestic elk. That, oh, God, it's sprouting flames from its hooves. I mean, you can't talk about Curse City if Curse City doesn't exist, GW. I love you guys, but really, come on. You can't talk about, oh, hey, his amazing transformation. How would we know? What? Yeah. Yeah. But you, they. The model itself is kind of cool. Hey. I love that they do pronounce it officially in all of the streams. More of a bro name because it's Radukar. Radukar. Oh, okay. It's it, his bro name. It is true. So he, had a, he had a different name. He just had a different Radukar. name again. Yeah. Radukar. I mean, I guess it should be Radukar or Raduka, but I like Radukar. No, he's Bro Dukar. Yo, Bro Dukar. Have you seen this child on Earth YouTube? Bro Dukar. One is Brokar and one is Radukar. Yeah. I mean, it's not a vampire faction, it's just a frat house in Ulpankarn. Yeah, I mean, okay, I'm going to look at the model piece by piece again. I mean, he has two little, like, half-wolf cronies who, for some reason, wear, like, half of a chest plate each, and they have, like, small, silly stabbing daggers, and one of them is holding up a chalice, like, draining a Broduker's claws. Hey, Broduker, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Can I have some gore? <laughs> well, yes, you may. And the other guy's just leaning on a sword, like, wow, Broduker, you're really the best guy in the Alpha Pie Wolf house. I know. Yeah, Let's those play guys Halo. are the pledges. The pledges for joining yeah. the <laughs> Shit hazing is brutal age of Sigmar. Yeah, next next gonna go on a raid for on the on the other frat in uh <laughs> raiding the Luminous. Do I have uh, to go on a raid in the Slanish realm? Yes, it's your pledge. Uh, no, I mean these guys, to be honest, okay, these guys... now. You're, you're, both of you guys are gonna be headhunted by Games Workshop. <laughs> <laughs> these guys the, the like crony dudes would make really cool ghouls or like siege magicians or like slanish magicians i think they have a lot of potential uh, for like cool conversions raduker himself seems to be like two and a half the size of an ordinary guy so i think he could actually be a pretty cool I, he's probably too big but he might be a cool strigoi like honestly but he looks to be like yeah. the size of almost a giant or like a vargulf so if you want to use it for like a humanized wargulf, the hands look pretty easy to like put a double weapon in or like a shield and a sword. So there's conversion potential, definitely. I'm thinking, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, Nicholas. With, with Age of Sigmar now, like they're building up such a massive catalog of models you can use in fantasy now that like when I was building this chaos army, it's like I need a beastman shaman, and I could just go through all the warcry warbands like this thing. No, this thing. Talk to you guys and like no, no beast enough. Like oh, what about a shadow maid from the? Those guys look pretty beasty from Night Hunt, whatever they're called. 
they're like floaty skeleton guys, like all the other ones. Yeah. But they're like uh, goat head or goat head sticking out. And I used use that one as a shaman. So you like you can just find endless conversion possibilities with these ridiculous kits. Yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, facts age your Sigmar for making an entire line of characters that I can actually transform through the skill of my mind and my hands into playable stuff. Yeah. Yes. Sure you can. Now I'll never get headhunted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking he could actually make for a quite cool base for a man eater or a magic conversion or the ogre that's actually part of the Dark Elf Blackguard. Oh, yeah. I think it made yes, a, like a really cool like ogre mercenary. Yeah, like a man-eater. Man <laughs> yeah, you just have to watch out, boy, because he'll shoo you up because he's a man-eater. Watch out, boy. He'll shoo you up. So how about uh, Lao Kawai, Mother of Nightmares? Uh, well, actually, before that, they've actually released Radukar the Wolf and Radukar's Court as limited buy on our homepage only. Yeah, and Radukar, Radukar just, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's fine. But I wonder where like, they come the... from. I wonder where they come from. I have no idea where <laughs> we'll we never know. I, I guess they, they sprung <laughs> like Palace Athena, they sprung fully formed from the head of a game designer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if this entire affair has left me with a sour taste in my mouth, but one of these guys looks like a pretty cool Vargulf, and like three of them look like decent vampire frolls. They'd probably make for better more time because they're all on pillars from god awful reason. I'm not really super sold on two of these guys because I don't know why nobody else mentioned it, but they look like darkest dungeon designs, particularly like the guy with the big shovel and like the uh, skeleton guy. The box that, that might, may, they might not be named or must not be named. Let's call it that the box that must not be named. Yeah, uh, actually, have been called the darkest dungeon of uh, of Age of Sigmar. Voldebox. Yeah, the Voldebox. As as a joke, when we meet up, we should have like a gilded chalice and just throw wine at people. Stress level. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, no, this is hilarious. Because next up we have Kritza, the Rat Prince. The star of March, first new model one day, Kritza's transformation into an immortal vampire was far from intentional. Having been savaged almost unto death by Raduka, Kritza not only survived his ordeal, by a quirk of fate, emerged as a fully-fledged vampire, albeit one with a rodential twist. And then I look at him and like, that dude ain't got a rat face. He looks like David Bow in the Siggy Stardust era, and that's pretty fucking cool. Or like the Pale Count era. He just has like strange, huge rats as a cloak and pauldrons, which is a cool aesthetic. I mean, he even has like a cane. I like this model. It's vampiric. It wouldn't fit with my armies, but it's cool. And there's a lot of like Inquisitor or like yeah. Quizimondo or Necromondo potential. Yeah, Mordheim. he's a perfect Mordheim character because they even have gilded rat hunters in Mordheim. I love that. Like it's like the last time the Imperium like tries to acknowledge Skaven without like saying they exist. Uh, yeah, so we have this Inquisitor <clears throat> rat hunters. Oh, okay. So what do you have? I have this really, really big <laughs> we need to take care of. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there has been a famine, and after the famine we have the problem with the uh, big rats. So show me a rat. Yes, it's forty-five kilos. Okay, that's two gold pieces. Um, never talk about this. If you mention someone, we'll kill you. Have a good day. See you next week. No, but it's a really cool model. I, I like it overall. Not much to say. The aesthetic's cool. You could probably make a decent Gerald of Rivia conversion. The rats are there. Speaking of rats, have... uh, trivia. I see rats every day going to work. I, I'm so used to them now. You used to live in the, the little green area next to the tube station. See rats scurrying about every day. Have you seen any city foxes yet? Like oh, urban yeah. foxes? All, all the time. Like when I'm going to my friend's place and in the evening, they're just 
running after me. Like literally, they're just like <laughs> falling after me. Then then just hiding whenever I look back. We do have them in the background of one of our recordings as well. Oh yeah, when they're just fucking screaming their asses off. Yeah. I can just gladly announce that I haven't seen a rat on my way to work, which is good because I work from home. I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw a rat. Uh, but still, I live in Solna, which is known as that one part of Sweden where they found a 22-kilo rat who had gnawed through concrete. So, you know, we have the super rats, the king of lesser rats, isn't and yea, uh, their dominion shall be. Isn't that also where they f- they found the woman who had, like, three skeletons in an Ikea bag in her closet? Yeah, and five skulls on a shelf. Yeah. So that's so. what we're saying is that he's pretty much living in the outskirts of Mordheim. Yeah, pretty much. With I get paid in worse, worse people. Yeah. So, and I mean, the only the thing one. missing is that I work for the government. That would be the best. Uh, next one, Lady Annika, the first thing played. This is probably one of the models I'm the least excited for. This is the one who has like the hair who looks like horns. I'm not excited because to me, the long, like voluminous cloak makes me think of that other like slanish model they released. It has like a large bridal carry. The sword is fine if we could do something about the cloak. I do think that this is, however, genuinely one of the best conversion materials we have gotten for years for a slanish wizard. The face is on point, the hair is on point. You even get like a weird option for either like a cursed chalice, which is a slanish item, or like a small, (laughs) strange gimp hand, which I guess is supposed to be a bat hand, but it's way too small. I mean, it has potential, but to me, rebasing it would be a freaking hassle, so I wouldn't. What about you guys? You like it? it? It's a strong meh for me. Seconded. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Free, free mess and a eh. <laughs> and then we have, I guess, Warhammer Underworld's Beast Grave. And <laughs> Jesus, is this what they released to cover for the Tomb Kings? Just, just do fantasy gypsies, GW. Nobody's judging you, okay? Just throw Brendan Fraser in there. Do something. And I think that's I actually think that's that all another company has a copyright for a character named something Brandon. for Brandon Fraser. Yeah, for a, a like an undead version of him. So I think that yeah, would probably be a big no no. <laughs> yeah, but they have they have Apotep, right? Like the Black Prince, the guy for Eighth Edition is basically like an undead skeleton assassin made out of scarabs. He's a really cool model and he has really cool fluff. Apparently he's bad in the game, but everything I do is bad in the game, so I wouldn't know. Do you know what I actually miss that I would like released from the box, Warm which we shall not name? Oh, I thought you mean meeting. <laughs> oh, yes. I thought you mean meeting other people. <laughs> well, I mean, no. Uh, well, what do you miss more? People or Wormer fantasy? I, I go for fantasy every day. Yeah, fantasy. Well, yeah. I, 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 can't, I could play fantasy on my own, but I can't play a game that doesn't exist with people, regardless of how many people I have around me. It's true. It's like if you ask me if I value people or books higher, I would probably tell you people because they could make more books. But having worked in customer support, I wouldn't really yeah. stand by that ideal. Uh, no, what I miss is like the small rat base counters uh, that the box that should not be named had. They had like, I think, three bases of just rats crawling over one another. I actually like to see those released. Oh, both for worry, obviously they're probably go- going to come for a limited website only release 
from a well, I'd like mention, a, mentioning what, where uh, they come from. Base fillers, vermintide markers, like I play Necromunda, which I know we don't talk about here, but I think they could be cool for Necromunda. They'd definitely be cool for like Mordheim. That box had a lot of potential, and I'm super depressed actually that I couldn't book mine from GW because my internet was down. But I mean, it is what it is. You probably wouldn't have time anyway, even how quickly they still. No, I wouldn't. But you've uh, seen my cupboard, the hobby cupboard. And th- is that's that not a euphemism. No, I have a literal cupboard filled with Warhammer projects. I have most of our room. <laughs> it, just, it just expands given if you give it enough space it just expands it doesn't matter how much it's exponential growth of, <laughs> of hobby projects but let's get back to the, uh, See, the I think that's that's everything I could find as releases yeah there's some slanish stuff Jens you want to cover that? I miss hearing your voice I don't even know <laughs> wasn't there some, some blood dragons? I'm going to keep singing Man Eater unless you open up the Warhammer community page and find the Slanish stuff. Yeah, you got to oh. do it. Have you mentioned the Blood Knights? Yeah, talk about the Blood Knights and I'll Ooh. find some Slanish things. Yeah, yeah, they're finally releasing Blood Knights in plastic. Y'all motherfuckers don't know how good you had it. Honestly, like, come on. Yes. I, I remember when I was in, uh, when I was in uh, like eighth or ninth grade or something, I would go on the, the, the thick screen windows the XP or whatever we had uh, during the break times and just go to the Games Workshop page and just go to like, look, look at this, this unit. It's the most expensive unit. Why is it so expensive? It's just five guys on horses. But it's like 600 crowns. What the hell? Yeah, and I mean, they yeah. were always in fine cast and they were like 700 kroners for five of them. And it was just, that's 70 quid for our British listeners. I can't do that anymore. I'm sorry. I'm not allowed. <clears throat> uh, fun fact, <laughs> oh look it is no but these look really good you can give them hand weapons or lances and the quality looks crisp uh, the horses look really good they obviously have barding I wouldn't give them the unmasked heads they've done female and male blood dragons I have zero issue with that I mean they don't cover female blood dragons but I mean why wouldn't there be it has to do with like warriors metal and ability it has nothing to do with your gender um, the one thing I, I would did say... like the uh, the Age of Sigmar special rule that they had that they can just ride over. Yeah, units. yeah, it's cool. Riding over peasants, basically. The one, yeah. The the one thing I don't like is that they are already out of stock online on the Games Workshop webpage. Ah, <laughs> uh, classic. We yeah, can't find I, have no I haven't been removed yet, and no no customer service message on a reply on Twitter has said that they were a limited edition yet. So they probably can come back. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of other models we didn't cover. Uh, one of them is one Chris tried to goad me into, which is Laukawai, the mother of light nightmares, which is funny because it's a Lamian reference. Lamia, you know, the Greek mother of monsters from whose loins all the evils of the world came. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> how do I describe her? It's basically half a super cool vampire model, uh, super glued onto the half of a super cool demon or like undead vampire war form model. Yep. I would literally saw these apart and make two awesome models. Or like put a ooh, I would put a dark Eldar Chimeric head on that body, on the vampire body, because I think that would look cool and look undead. And for her I'd put her on a horse or something. I'm thinking snake body. Having it as a That would be really cool. Model. Or make it Or like the, a dark elf. Yeah, like an anointed from the She has dark elf armor. Yeah, pretty much. 
it's also a bit similar to uh, one of the bosses in uh, the new Resident Evil game. Uh, I'll take your word for it. Uh, they also have like the vampire over the maze, which we spoke about, and like the new zombies and the new skeletons. Uh, the new skeletons, I mean, they look hard to rank, but there's nothing wrong with them. For my taste, they're a bit too ostentatious and well-equipped. Was it you or Jimmy who called them Ottoman, Chris? I think Turkish. Yeah, Turkish. Was that you, Chris, or was it Jimmy? I think that was Jimmy, but I think that's been the general vibe of them all along, because they have those rounded shields and uh, like more of a plate mail. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to properly apply, but the Chevron work... And like the pauldrons would probably place them more as a Slavic. I think they went for a Slavic theme because they have this like the ring mail defense around the chest part and the neck. But I get the criticism because early Ottoman expansion had a lot of the weapons that they have and they have sabers yeah. for some reason. And, and the, were, obviously were, the banner looks a bit Ottoman. Yeah. And also there, during most of history, there's been quite a heavy use of subjugated troops and uh, mercenaries. Yeah. I mean, the Ottoman Empire made a tactic out of putting like defeated enemies in the first ranks because then you're shooting your own friends. <laughs> so <laughs> Funny, uh, those helmets, though, like the, the pointy helmets, yeah, yeah. The, the feel of it. Uh, new zombies. I mean, new zombies to me. I'm not super sold on like the tree tree roots and the vibes going through them, but I get what they're going for, and I applaud the fact that they try to do it. It's weird, <laughs> freaky, and like, practical. Did you notice that every review started with like, "Yeah, it's pretty crap, but it's also good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we have seen examples on these with the vines and roots removed, and they look pretty great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cut, cut those and that guy... shit off, and they are awesome. Maybe not every zombie need to have their own tombstone on their head. Yeah. So there's there's one skeleton holding a pitch a zombie holding a pitchfork who has like a big medal on his neck, and his pants are held up by a piece of cord, and he has a really look of disdain. And that one reminded me of Nicholas, mostly because of the pitchfork. <laughs> He also has his mo- mouth slightly opened and it looks like he's yelling, get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, or like, mm. Krell! I feel yeah. honored. No, it looks... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the guy with twigs for arms, there's body horror going on here, and I like it. I'm thinking, if you don't want to, you could just uh, scale it down. You don't have to cut off every little bit if you don't want to. It just... Give them a more cohesive paint scheme that fits in the old world. Put them on squares. We know they fit on squares. We've seen they fit on squares. Mm-hmm. And you get a pretty good-looking unit out of these. They look like a shambling horde. Oh, yeah. yeah. One last thing, just because Niklas called me pessimistic, I'm going to really show him. The new Felbats. I really like them. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Felbats are like. cool. They're dynamic. They replaced like, the old kite Felbats. They just look like a kite. And like swooping down to the nightmare post. These ones are really cool. Also, I think you could probably remove the wings and make awesome vampire conversions with them, which, you know, I'm also proud for that. The price is okay, you know, could be cheaper, but if you buy it from a local friendly local game store, you probably get a discount on this. And yeah. Also, yeah, there's like know. three different sculpts, right? Yeah. yeah. And you basically always run like a unit of three or something. So yeah. you only need those three. Apparently, in Eighth, the thing is to have uh, multiple smaller groups because they can terrorize oh, war yeah. machines. Yeah. And the hands are distinct, and like the wings are distinct. It's a multi-part kit. Uh, I like it overall. It's just this is a cool kit, and I applaud it. Only to spite Nicholas. No, uh, it's cool. The guy hugging yeah. like a and, piece of rock. Uh, yeah, we're gonna say that the two two out of three of those can really easily get their base changed. 
the one hugging a rock might be a bit trickier, but you could just change it if you want to. Hey, like it's this blanky. He needs some comforting silence, you know. Yeah, but just imagine that one clinging to a terrain piece for Mordheim, just like like on a tower or something. I wonder yeah. if if I took one of these guys and like took his wings and put it on one of those like previewed Strigoi guys. I wonder if I couldn't do like a winged Strigoi because there's one of the upgrades you can buy. That might be fun mm-hmm. actually. Probably. Yeah. Just have to maybe have to fill in some of the weapon or the skin of the on the, the wings. Oh, well, well, well. So it's, <laughs> oh Chris. Would, would it be you know the bat, would it be the the bat carrying the Strigoi? Is that what you're thinking? No, no, he would bat hugging no, the Strigoi. Yeah, he'd have bat wings just coming out of his back. Uh, I thought you meant like the the bat would carry Strigoi from like his back, which would also be pretty rad. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that could drop work. him, drop him on a war machine. My bat do, Uber, give him five stars. Do, do you know what? I I sort of applaud GW's restraint because you know that somebody in the design studio wanted to give the bat like a sword or a shield or like a crossbow. So yeah, no, that's everything. That's every new release I can think of. And now Jens is going to talk about Slanish. Yeah, I find I I I hadn't seen these bottles. I'm so out of the fucking loop. <laughs> now you have to so, tell us their shit. Yeah, they look like giant butterfly. <laughs> giant Sanishi butterfly with uh, massive tits. It made me think about RuPaul's Sissy That Walk, because that song would fit perfectly for these guys. Yeah, yes, it looks like they're on like some drag show, a drag show catwalk or something. But I'm I'm guessing that's the the look they're going for because there's an issue. Uh, I mean, if I if I did a, I don't like the demonets, uh, the new plastic ones. I think they're a bit shit. Uh, but I mean, all the bigger demons that they have released lately, all the big like Sanishi monster demons have been pretty good. I think. I actually agree. It's so kind of funny. You cut the, cut the wings or whatever the fuck on the back of these guys, and then they release a new plastic demon. At I mean, I might be, I might be interested. <laughs> and I mean, it used to be. A, I remember when I started 40k, it was always like a joke that if you wanted a de- decent greater demon, you had to buy Forge World. And those models in yeah. resin still hold up. But now they've actually released them, and it only took what 15 years. Oh yeah, yeah, that's uh, no time at all. <laughs> the blink of an eye. 15 years is like what? One and a half Niklas? No, 1.0 Niklas. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why Krell isn't on anymore. The fun fact is, I'm in at least one hour of every podcast. Let's get edited out. Yeah, well, at least the sound guy that we hired to make your voices. We hired him <laughs> and just add him in out. Not... Do you think this is, I mean, they released the uh, Slanishi Chaos Warriors and Slanishi Beastmen and everything. Do you think they're going to do new Demonets? No. I think if they were going to do it, sadly, they would have done it by now. But uh, I might be wrong. Yeah. I'd love to be wrong. Yeah, they already have them in plastic, so I yeah, but they're, they're, they're ugly as fuck. Like <laughs> well, I mean, points at the entire agency range. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I get what you what you mean, but I mean these big kits are so nice, and then you look at plastic demonet and you go like, oh, I can't do anything, and you can't get the Juan Diaz TD demonet. Uh, because they won't fit with the new giant demons. I've told you this before. You have two kidneys and zero Diaz models. <laughs> Priorities, man. Priorities. Yeah, you can live with one kidney. Yeah. Now Nicholas is got two kids that have two kidneys. Yeah, so... six kidneys. Now, Nicholas, yeah. do you want to guide us through the new IDNF Deepkin uh, Warhammer Underworlds yeah. release? No. Crab. 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 Like crab. 
crab people. Crab Actually, I'm people. gonna buy that kit. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would, I won't blame you. It looks like a pretty fun little kit, and you get a crab. Yeah. Also, it will fit perfectly into my planned Mordheim Pit Fighter Warband, just to represent one of the different styles of fighting. Because they got a bit yeah, of there's bit. like a net and trident guy, right? Yeah, yeah and so he has an eel. Yeah, but the eel can be removed. <laughs> no, that should be the title for this episode. <laughs> this, I really find it annoying sometimes that you say this model looks great. You just have to change this, and people, now nah, this model is shit. But just look at the potential. Don't look at the actual model. Look at the potential. What can it can be? Yeah, I, I've got a serious question for Chris and Nicholas because you guys are usually the most optimistic. What do you guys honestly think about the new models for Age of Sigmar, like the revamped Sigmarines and the large lady who looks like Sanguinis? Still shit. Still I, must Sigmarines. I must have that uh, large lady who looks like, like Sanguinis. That's your best pickup line today, but yeah. It might be from, like, it's like, what do you think of the latest My Little Pony figuring? Like, it doesn't concern I'm, me. I'm just looking at that model. As, uh, I, think, I think it ties your room together, to Nicholas. It. I just have to paint it. Don't want it. Don't want anything Sigmarine. Just get out of my face. I also do suspect that it will be like 1400 or something and no one will buy it because it's too expensive. Yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, speaking of Warhammer Underworlds, they released some new orcs, but I guess Jimmy might want to talk about them because the Shaman sculpt is probably pretty okay. It's Savage Orcs. Yeah, there's some fun stuff in there. Yeah. It looks like they're going to release Beastmen Blood Bowl guys. And I might be interested in that. The conversion potential is limitless. And then we have Speaking the Slanich. Of... Yeah, Slanich oh, Warhammer Underworld team. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, from Warhammer uh, for Blood Bowl. They have released the human and orc team from the new starter set uh, separately. Oh, cool. And those might do great as conversion fodder, those models. Yeah, I mean, the human models are, again, for Necromunda, super easy to convert. So I imagine that for Mordheim, they would be super easy to convert as well. I've seen people making a unit of uh, really fancy, like Karaburg greatswords out of them. Yeah, that unit looks fucking rad. Yeah. Yeah, endless conversion potential from these new releases. Uh, do we have anything else to say before we turn this uh, episode into a five-hour episode? If you want to turn this into a circular argument, you can do this without me, or is that the other way? If you want to roll back the podcast, like one and a half minutes, you could probably hear the moment where Nicholas lost all steam because we started talking about the crab man and I don't know if Deep Game Warhammer Underworlds. You could just hear him mentally Ooh, shake out. Imagine getting uh, Boris and putting him on a crab. And that is Boris from Crab, <laughs> not Boris from the UK. I mean... <laughs> I think Boris Johnson on a crab would be better. <laughs> yeah, well, but I that... mean, we could just ask Nicholas. Nicholas plays Warhammer Fantasy 6th edition with Boris uh, Johnson. Well, soon. I mean, yeah, now that the the restrictions have eased, I'm definitely going to go down there. Uh, this is, there's just endless tangents. You just bring, don't bring Boris up. Did you see the, the, the clip with him when he was talking about when he was building uh, trains and buses? Yeah, boxcars <laughs> and stuff. It's amazing. I, I bet he he builds Warhammer. So I bet uh, I bet he plays Skaven with Slings in more time. This entire episode has been quite interesting so far, but it's time to move on into the main topic of tonight, and that is Nicholas and I. Uh, we have a little chat about the Great War against Chaos. Mangle Manhunt Manslayers! Mangle Manhunt Manslayers! Mangle Manhunt Manslayers! 
Hi, I'm Mangled Man Player, CEO and owner of Mangled Man and Man Players. Thanks to shipping error, we're overstocked in manhides of all shapes and sizes. And I'm passing the savings on to you! Keep warm with a nice arm scarf. Decorate your ballroom with a set of nice buttocks. How about a full human carpet in the living room? Whatever your manhide needs may be, come on down to Mangled Man and Man Players for great savings today! And welcome back. <laughs> uh, we are here with the main topic, and that is the Great War Against Chaos, or as some call it, the Great War. Yeah, uh, this is a very fascinating event in the history of the O-World, I think. Um, we've been talking a while about this event, about doing an episode about it, but it's kind of hard uh, because there's not that much information about it. And we've been talking about it. that uh, It's like a, a massive event, but it's just mentioned everywhere, but there's no no like single work about it. Yeah, in many ways, this will be the prequel to the to a Stor future Storm of Chaos episode because that has a lot more written about it. Yeah, I, I kind of see these two events like uh, the Great War Against Chaos is like the Great War of our world, the First World War, and then Storm of Chaos is World War Two. Uh, so it's like these two kind of interlinked events that are like the massive wars that uh, everyone needs to join together and fight against evil. Chaos this time, not Germany. Yeah, that I don't really think that had to be said, but it's. Uh, <laughs> but we should probably try to fight evil whenever we can, <laughs> and that comes from me, who is probably one of the few non-evil players on this podcast. Hmm. But uh, enough about that. Where do you want to start, Nicholas? Well, um, I said this was like a, a very big event in the world of the old world, and. Uh, I mean, it, 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 people will probably have known about it. Uh, it's most said in Kislev, and the, everyone joins against chaos and stuff. But uh, the big thing about this war is that the world changes a lot after it, and it changes into what people know as Warmer Fantasy. Everything, that, like the map remains pretty much the same after this event, but before this event. Things were actually really different. So I thought that we would go through the factions that were involved in this war and uh, see what they were like before the war. Yeah, and uh, this uh, this war is about 200 years before the quote-unquote current timeline, I think. Yeah, be. pretty much exactly 200 years. It yeah. started 2301, I think. Yeah, I think, and it lasts for a few years. Yeah, And as you said, a lot changes, especially in... Uh, your favorite part of the old world. Yeah. So uh, the war is mostly set in Kislev, and it's uh, a classic chaos in uh, incursion, uh, just coming from the north, trying to destroy everything in their path. And usually that means that people will go through Kislev and just wreck everything they can find. That's the main difference in the storm of chaos, that they just burn through Kislev in a straight path to go to Middenheim. But uh, that's for another episode. And in this war, though, uh, there's a warlord called Asvar Kool, who hates you like a fool, Asvar Kool. Um, and uh, he just uh, goes on a rampage, classic chaos rampage, just gets a lot of followers and attacks Kislev. And then uh, the Empire eventually unites to help Kislev. And they also get helped by dwarves and some elves. But as I said, we would go through what the countries were like before this invasion. So Kislev, uh, my favorite land in the old world, was founded pretty late. I think it's like 1600 in the imperial calendar, something like that. that the 
Gospodars came from uh, across the mountains from the east, and they pushed the Ungols to the west, which in turn pushed the Ruxman out of existence. And uh, they had founded the city of Kislev. They had taken the small port city that became Erengrad and settled that into a major city. And they've also taken Prague. And uh, Prague is where most of the remaining Ungols were living at this point, if they were not living out in the plains. And Kislev was a really thriving country at this time, because that's usually how it goes with countries, especially in the old world, like they're founded and then they conquer new territory and they're just expanding and expanding and just thriving. And they were really strong. And they, at this time, they had taken lands that were re- later reclaimed by both Ostlan and Ostermark. So they were this was bigger at this point than it is now. And Prague was a very prominent city. And uh, being so far north as well, uh, it was closer to the Winds of Magic. And there was uh, magical colleges set up in Prague. And they were just studying magic there. So they were very, very cultured in, in general. And uh, like a, a nice unified kingdom. And uh, things were going well. Yeah, and in this, they were quite a lot further along compared to the empire, which we're going to get into later, because uh, Nicholas just mentioned that they did have a form of college of magic. Yeah, the empire just burned everyone they could find that could use magic at this point. Yeah, I mean, Kissa was founded by a sorceress, so they were pretty open to it, and uh, they had their arts magic, but they were also studying like normal magic. Uh, it's funny as well, like they were saying that the empire usually burned witches, and especially at this time. Um, and that's the thing in Kislev, I think it's in one of the role-playing books, uh, that they describe that the, the ice witches try and suppress religions that get too big, because they don't want a monotheistic society, because they believe that that's when they start burning witches. <laughs> like uh, the empire had become under signal. Well, they're not wrong. Um, so yeah, Kissel was uh, thriving this time. And uh, yeah, I just want to touch on that as well, that the Prague was to the north and they were closer to the Winds of Magic. Uh, it should be known that the Winds of Magic and like the area of chaos was much smaller at this time before the Great War Chaos, because that's another thing that uh, changes dramatically. Yeah, there's quite a lot of Kislev inside the Chaos Wastes after this war. And yeah. Because... Just a quick note, because the the case of wastes have been growing and in uh, been in a fl- flux and growing and shrinking and growing and shrinking ever since the old world's portal on the pole collapsed several thousands years ago, which was the first war against chaos with all the demons. And uh, yeah. their their entire cities have just been disappearing into the chaos wastes, and uh, this is what happens every time there's a new ever chosen and they want to raid a bit in the south. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's get into the next uh, faction just to explain how dramatic this is. The dwarves and uh, a great book for this uh, to just understand the scope of what changed is uh, Demon Slayer, the Gotagan Felix novel, uh, when they oh, are yeah. going uh, to the lost hole of Karak Doom. And if you would look at a map where Karak Doom is, you'd be like, "Holy shit, that's right in the chaos wastes." Yes, it is now, but before this event that city was inhabited by dwarves and it was like really far north but it was still connected to the rest of the world and dwarves lived there and they mined there yeah and uh, they continued to live there for quite a long time afterwards but just battling every demon they could find 
Yeah. Because that's what dwarves do when they fi- find demons to fight. They just keep fighting them. Because why not? Yeah. <laughs> really. And uh, we're having a conversation about this earlier about the, the Norskan dwarves. So the, the dwarves that live in Norska. Because uh, they're separated from the rest of the dwarf kind during this event, we think. There's not that much written about them. Uh, but they're, they're surrounded and then they, they're just shut in their holds after this event. But they still live there after this. But in the 6th edition timeline, this is a bit different because they, they retconned this. But in the 6th edition, they are believed to be have wiped out during the Storm of Chaos later. Yeah, and if you want to, if you go back a bit we do know that they were quite formidable during the war of vengeance the war of the beard because then was probably the last time that the norsecan dwarves were out in force yeah so somewhere between what is like 2000 years ago and the great <laughs> war that they diminished and uh, but it's interesting to see that uh, maybe they didn't retcon they maybe they changed a bit because someone discovered them again yeah well, they went outside their holes. Yeah, yeah, we don't really know. It'll be really interesting to see uh, if in the new game it's a, like a timeline that's earlier to see the Norse dwarves again. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. other, than, other than that, I don't think there's that much happening with the dwarves. They're just like slowly declining as usual. Because in the, in the current timeline, like Thorgrim Grudfair is like a huge injection of uh, hope and just uh, rage with the dwarves. Yeah. Didn't he actually? One of the reasons he became the the high king was that he visited the Norsecan dwarves and found someone still alive. Yes, yes, he did. Brought yeah, but back. I think that's where the story changes because if either they still survived or they all left or something like that, that's yeah. the difference between sixth and eighth edition or something. It's yeah, I think uh, that's before Storm of Chaos though, and yeah. then Storm of Chaos happens. But that's also the thing in sixth edition, they fight Chaos back, and in eighth edition, it destroys the world. So everyone yeah. dies. <laughs> yeah. Not just the Norsecan dwarves. <laughs> They're probably in there somewhere roaming the mortal realms as dispossessed or flying uh, dwarves with metal yeah. beards. Let's not go into that because uh, we were talking about something way more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's the dwarves. Uh, just dwarfing it, living life, drinking ale, uh, just being sad about half empty holes. Uh, and then the well, let's not go to the big player yet. Let's go to the the high elves. So, what, what are they up to? They're fighting the dark elves, right? Uh, at this point, at the start of when the ever shows and starts to gather his armies, they are also starting to gather armies uh, of all of the mortals. And uh, Morathi might have just uh, tricked a few thousand uh, marauders into her service. That he, she uses to rampage across the Ulfon as a support to Malekith's evasion. Yeah, and this is sounds, the. Sounds like Marathi. Yeah. Just, uh, just show a bit of skin, they'll do anything. Well, skin, dark magic, it probably helps. So at this point, uh, when they rampage across uh, Ulfon, uh, they do send a task force directly to Avalorn to kill the Everqueen. Oh. But uh, thankfully, uh, Tyrion is there, saves the Ever Queen, and uh, brings her to uh, an army that's gathering in Seferi. All right. And this is also when both Tyrion and Teclis rises to the prominence. Teclis becomes a scholar at uh, the White Tower, forges his weapon, have a conversation with uh, Kalador, who's playing chess with someone with another god. Um, yeah. It, this is in the Tyrion and Teclis books. It gets a bit muddied, but 
the short story is uh, Battle of Finnaval Plain, which takes place at the same time as the Great War. Teclis defeats Malekith because he finds out a way to pretty much end him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. That's also why this is pretty much the entire contribution of the High Elves to the, the war in the Empire is Teclis and like three of his colleagues yeah. after battle. Yeah, well that's the thing, like uh, Malekith wanted to keep the Elves busy or the High Elves busy while Chaos was ravaging the Empire. I don't know why though, he always does this, like he, why wouldn't he let the High Elf army go there first and then attack Elswan? Because so he wants to, because, I think. The sa- same thing is in the, the, the War of Vengeance. Like when Ulthuan sends the army to the old world and then they just have time to disembark and then he attacks Ulthuan and they're like, well, let's just embark again and go back. Why, why if he had waited until uh, they stormed the, the dwarf fortress uh, to reclaim the crown, then the, the army would have been tied up. He always, he's just, uh, it's just Malekith. But I think that because, that's because Malekith Malkith still sees himself as the rightful ruler of Ulthuan. So he doesn't want them all dead. He just wants power. He'd want to be the king. And yeah. if he kills all the elves, he can't be the king's, king of all the elves. He's got his own elf. He just wants yeah. a crown. Yeah. Well, he gets it because he's apparently a nice guy in the end. Yeah. And Tyrion is the bad guy. <laughs> so enough about the elves for now, I think. Okay, so the main player, the Empire. So uh, as people would have known, because there's been a lot of speculation on the uh, the new game being set in an older timeline, when the Empire was fractured in the Age of the Three Emperors. <clears throat> and it's not really like uh, divided into three, and they all being the lords of their own countries. It's like the, the Empire is fragmented into all of the different provinces, and uh, probably smaller sections as well, like everyone who has power can summon people but like the the power changes through the course of the these many hundreds of years as well um and but you still have like the the strongest places like Middenheim, Talapheim and uh, Altdorf in is it, is it in Reichland it must be right. Altdorf is in Reichland yes yeah then um, you have uh, Mar- mm. Marienburg in the wasteland as well that's a major yeah. power player Noln somewhat so like they're, they're smaller <laughs> Yeah, Noln is, is a city-state within the state, so it's seven, limited self-rule, I think, self-governance. Yeah. So, yeah, the, how did the empire become like this? As well, you might ask. Yeah, the empire was founded by Sigmar, and then he left and let people decide who should be the emperor. That's how the elector counts were formed, and then the empire was growing and growing and growing, and then the uh, uh, the province of uh, Dra- uh, is it Drakwald? The big forest? No, it's another forest. Or is it the Drakwald? Yeah, it is the Drakwald. That was a province, but it's not a province anymore. They became the emperors, and then they just started fucking up the empire a bit, just making everything corrupt. And then the Black Plague happened in 11-11 and decimated like two-thirds of the population. And since then, the empire was just in constant decline. And uh, that's where they are just when this thing starts happening. Yeah, I think there was quite a lot of influence by the chaos forces leading up to this, just niggling away on the leaders, making them feel a bit more independent than they should be, making them just, well, don't you see 
uh, th that leader over there, he's not he's not your friend. He's just he just wants your land. And then they say the same thing to that guy, and they all of the tension just leading to a powder keg that was the emperor at that point. Even though they were nominally united, they were all quite antagonistic against each other. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's really cool. Like uh, the descriptions of when it started, like uh, chaos started, like their powers grew uh, way before the invasion and uh, more cults started spreading in the empire and uh, more beastmen started roaming the forests and you could see signs in the sky and uh, pigs were standing on their hind legs and screaming in human voices. And um, yeah, you could just tell that something bad is going to happen soon. Indeed. And uh, that's leading up to the the leader getting crowned for the Chaos Forces, pretty much. Yeah. It's gathering all of the trinkets that later were gathered and given to Archaean. So Archaean wasn't the first and wasn't probably not supposed to be the last, even if, unless the world ended as it did. Yeah. So it's quite interesting that they make uh, the Chaos Forces, Chaos Gods make a champion, imbue him with all the powers and just. Let's see what he can do, and then yeah. just to leave him on his own. <laughs> yeah. So uh, said before, the name of the leader is Asavar Cool, um, which uh, there's no no pictures of him. I think the the picture people think is him is actually of his lieutenant Engra Death Sword, which I always think is called Engra Death Blade, which I think sounds cooler. But I was oh no shit, it's Engra Death Sword. Uh, yeah, blade definitely sounds cooler in that form. Just having it called Death Sword sounds a bit clunky. Yeah, I would not fly as a Xbox Live username, Engra. Uh, as of Arcolo, he's from the the east. Uh, what, what are they called? Is he from the Hung? From the, the Kurgans? Must be Kurgan, right? He's from one of the tribes, at least, because Archaean was a Sigmar Templar, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm looking at the map now of the invasion rats, and he's coming from the east. And then Engra is coming from the north, from Norska. I don't think he is Norsegan. He, maybe he's he was the high Tsar of the Kurgans and the ever chosen of Chaos. Yeah, Kurgans. So, uh, yes, as we're cool, his uh, Lieutenant Engra Deathsword, and then also joining for his uh, southern tour is uh, Valmir Aisling, who is besieging Krakadrak. He's the one keeping the Norsegan dwarves occupied. And then there's also Sven Bloody Hand, uh, which is advancing along the, the coast from Norska. So, I like uh, that some of these just sounds like regular people here in Sweden. Yeah, Sven Bloodhand. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Um, but yeah, um, as of our cool, advances from the east through the high pass, through the World Edge Mountains to Prague, where he meets up with Engra Sword. I almost said Deathblade there. Um, and... Uh, they had gathered a massive army. So the first response that the Kisselites sent, they told that this was just a normal, quote-unquote, uh, chaos invasion. So they sent their army. It was a pretty big army, but they didn't anticipate this massive gathering of chaos. And they were just completely surrounded and annihilated. And then Asrakul and Angra Desord advanced on Prague and started their siege. So And, um, and at this point, the chaos waste started to grow as well because... The Chaos Forces managed to bring demons that could manifest in the real world without having the risk of just getting disbanded and thrown back into the warp all of the time. Yeah. So I think at this point, we're going to make a little break and then we will insert a story here. So there are not a lot of things written about this event, but 
there's this story from written from like a first person perspective, which is really cool. We're gonna gonna leave you with that, and then we'll be right back. The history of Bernhard the Brave and his part in the Battle of Kislev. The storm rises, the cruelest winds known for many a century howled through the Drakvald forest in that fateful spring of 2302, bringing with them increasingly heavy swathes of snow. Boughs cracked and fell from the pines as their strength gave out under the burden of snow. The beasts of the forest lay huddled in dens, loath to set forth despite the gnawing aches of hunger in their shriveling stomachs. Huts, o'erbanked with snow, signaled life within only by a desultory plume of smoke from ice-rhymed chimney stacks. None dare face the elements so harshly disposed against them. None, that is, except Count Bernhard the Brave. Resolutely, he traveled the distant region of his land, delivering bounties from his own store to loyal subjects. Their gaunt faces turned upwards gratefully, as his unexpected knock at their door brought deliverance from death. The brave Count's noble features, bleached by the cold and framed by the beard of icicles, will long linger in the memory of many a poor mother whose children were thus saved by his courageous acts. Rallying cry. Such a man needed no prompting when news reached him of the onrushing forces of chaos that threatened to overcome the state of Kislev. The soil upon which he might fall may be foreign, but the enemy was one common to all humanity. Seizing the Runefang sword, granted to his forefathers for their heroism, he bellowed a rallying cry across his land. Barely had the exhausted courier's feet touched the ice-bound ground before Count Bernard's were in the stirrup. The famous war horn rang out, calling the militia to arms, as the fearless Count rode out at the head of the knights of the Drakvald forest. Banners streamed resplendent, dim spring sunshine glinted off lance tips, and hooves struck sparks as the womenfolk waved the fearless warriors off to war. The host gathers. The retinue of knights galloped down the old forest road, encouraging all who passed to join their swelling ranks. At the court of Middenheim, Count Bernhard embraced his comrades in the order of the White Wolf. Immense goblets of wine were passed among the ranks, and as each man took a sip, he pledged his loyalty and life to this mightiest of crusades. The yellow tunics of Drakvald and the blue of Middenland blended into a common brotherhood of arms. The weary feet and hooves of the hurriedly assembled army only paused for rest a further three hundred miles along the route at Talapheim, on the banks of the vast and still ice-bound river Talabek. In this frost-bitten city, terrible news was filtering in of the final destruction of the Tsar's army. His troops, previously bolstered by the Count of Ostland's own, had been beaten back to the frozen river Linsk. The spring thaw was long overdue, and the demonic forces of chaos swept across the ice to annihilate the stalwart remnants. A melancholy gloom settled upon the gathered host, much like the snow still descending to smother the city streets. Yet as the sun will unexpectedly break through the darkest of storm clouds, so their despair was forced to retreat once more to the deepest recesses of their souls, for Magnus the Pious had arrived. Magnus had already achieved incredible feats. Raising his banner in Lelm, he had drawn a prodigious legion to his side, marching north through Altdorf to face the tide of chaos. The numbers had swollen immeasurably, so that as his army flowed into Talapheim, it looked likely to burst the city's very walls. Rog in peril, a great council was called. 
Leaders of forces from the marches of the rivers Reich, Stur, Aver, and Talabek listened expectantly to Magnus's wise words, words whose impact was mirrored by the cracking splintering of ice along the Talabek that signaled the great melt. He spoke of the peril that threatened all humanity, especially Prague, which even now lay grasped within the demonic hold of chaos, and whose defender's lifeblood was relentlessly being squeezed out. Then he lay out their strategy. A strong, clear plan whose watchword was speed. Count Bernhard the Brave was chosen to lead the magnificent cavalry vanguard forth into the northern lands of Kislev. Banners of all the noblest imperial regiments fluttered in those ranks. The mightiest warriors in the land and Prague's only possible salvation. For if they could reach Prague before it fell, then the reinforced defenders should hold out long enough for the main army to fall upon the rear of the besieging chaos host. Despite the punishing pace set, summer was nearly over when the tired fetlocks arrived at the gates of Kislev, 500 miles of country behind them. Crops lay rotting in the fields for lack of men to harvest them. The Tsar's subjects had all exchanged swords for plowshares, and it was a motley, ill-equipped militia that gratefully cheered their arriving allies. All had pressed into Kislev in a last attempt to halt the destructive tide that swept the land. Count Bernhard's clear eye caught the sight of Nurgle's touch upon the city folk, and his nostrils were assaulted by the stench of overpowering decay. Tsar Vasily Zykov's pox-marked features and emaciated frame were mirrored in all his subjects. The only relief from this oppressive sight was Aylmar Ben Jackson's band of dwarfish longbeards from Karaza Karak, who tirelessly strove to shore up Kislev's defenses. Fresh earthworks seemed to spring up from the barren ground with each dwarfish spade stroke. Count Bernard required no imprecation from the grateful Tsar Vasily. Heedless of forthcoming danger, the brave band set forth once more, guided now by local scouts. Departing through the city gates, the column of knights was quickly encircled by the wildest swarm of horsemen they had ever seen. Lithe figures encased in all manner of furs and leather armor cavorted around them, performing daring tricks of horsemanship. At some hidden signal, the escapades ceased abruptly, and instantly regiments formed into battle order. Mounted at their fore was a strong-chested figure who grinned broadly from beneath an immense moustache. Greeting Bernhard warmly, he revealed that he was Bakshi Bazouk, war leader of many men, and they would fight with their southern allies to save the state of Kislev from destruction. Curious but grateful, the Empire Knights watched the famed Northern Cavalry join their ranks, each newcomer armed with a lethal curved bow. A chill wind blows. Fallen leaves whirled in the maelstrom created by thousands of hooves thundering up the Prague Road. As the remaining miles to Prague diminished rapidly in number, an icy blast struck the riders. The freezing northern gales were as early this year as the thaw had been late. Chilled fingers gripped icy reins as cloaks were pulled tighter around frozen flanks. The first few flakes of winter began to flurry groundwards. If this wind chilled the flesh of men, what followed would chill their very hearts. A low, moaning rumble began to rise from the direction of Prague, now but a day's ride away, building as it neared to a discordant cacophony of tortured souls. The swelling sound roared across the land like a wave towards a beach, then crashed upon the warriors. Pennants tore jaggedly from lances, cloaks ripped in shredded strips from broad backs, teeth chattered loose from bleeding gums, the chaos wind raked the land with its cankerous claws. Prague had fallen. 
Bakshi's returning scouts reported that the enemy was close by. All manner of beasts, unimaginable to the minds of men, ran, galloped, slithered, and crawled southwards from Prague across the blasted land in a relentless, broiling flood of chaos. Count Bernhard cursed that destiny which had thwarted their heroic exertions. At least by now, Magnus should be helping defend Kislev's walls. There was little Bernard's horsemen could do to stop the foul horde before them. The ground was poor for battle, and the odds far too long. The sacrifice would be futile. Instead, he employed the cunning for which he is well-renowned. Chaotic Crypt Guided by his fur-wrapped allies, he skirted around the flank of his foe, circling behind the enemy horde. Topping the crest of a rise, the fearless vanguard beheld Prague's fate, where once a fine city had stood, full of tall towers, fine houses, and glassy domes, now all was unrecognizable. As chaos had swept through the city, it wreaked havoc in a myriad of unconceivable ways. It were as if the city had been but a waxen creation, now blasted by the very fires of hell. The forces of destruction had wrought their worst, and like a spoiled brat, as quickly abandoned this now broken toy. Ever hungry for fresh blood, the chaos host, still unsated, had moved on. Buildings which had once stood proud, now oozed and dribbled through the streets. Stone, wood, and glass bubbled and coalesced into a mockery of their previous form. Fearless warriors exchanged troubled glances as they rode silently into the destruction. Naught was fully identifiable as what it had been. Horses whinnied pitifully as they pulled their hooves free from the cooling putrescence, shaking off globules, iridescent with innumerable crazy colorings as they did so. Yet this was the least of the horror, for it was not only the materials of the buildings that had been caught in this molten brew of damnation. Deformed limbs stretched forth to grasp the unwary. Distorted faces cried out unspeakable oaths. The stalwart defenders of Prague had been subsumed and warped by chaos into another adjunct of its multifaceted terror. A terrible fate was sealed, and there was no aiding them in their torment. Grim pledges were made between warriors whose homes lay over a thousand miles apart, but who were now bound into an unlikely alliance, an alliance whose resolve had been strengthened and turned to thoughts of vengeance by the horrors it all now witnessed. Praying for the souls of the doomed defenders of Prague, the vanguard turned its back on this strangely wrought tomb. It was an easy task to follow the horde of chaos, for the foul abominations left behind them a wake of blighted destruction. The beast pursued. The chaotic host moved like a great amorphous beast. Its numerous misshapen limbs and appendages drove it remorselessly onwards, all senses focused on its next prey, the city of Kislev. The bloated carcass tapered for many miles into a narrow tail, a rearguard that contained the lumbering but necessary baggage of war. The courageous Count Bernhard seized his chance. Such a leaderless mob would be slow to react, especially now that its powerful pincers were reaching out to squeeze Kislev until it screamed in agony. The slow-moving tail snaked its way through the narrow, steep-sided Vashienka Valley. This terrain presented the Count with a perfect opportunity. Bakshi Bazouk led his troops along the lee of a ridgeline, remaining out of sight to the enemy in the valley, a few hundred yards away, until they lay in position ahead of the baggage train. Following his discreet movements, Count Bernhard directed troops from Drakwald, Nordland, Hochland, and Middenland to the left ridge, the remainder to the right, so that the unwitting, odious mob lay flanked between them.
brought to bay. Noting that his comrades were in position, Bakshi directed his horsemen to top the rise. The foul throng in the vale below reacted instantly, the baggage guards swarming towards the cavalry silhouetted against the horizon. Howling taunts down the slope, the northern clansmen cantered forward to within easy bow range, then, wheeling in the face of their foe, withdrew as they released a hail of arrows. Enraged, the loathsome pack pursued them up the steep slope, triggering the trap with their enthusiastic ignorance. A single warhorn rang out shrilly, and thousands of leveled lances thundered down both steep hillsides. Inhuman cries of surprise and dismay were uttered from beastly throats among the baggage train. The creatures of chaos had been ambushed. Whilst their strongest warriors chased futilely after Bakshi's elusive horse archers, the rest lay surrounded and open to destruction. Shrieking fearfully, they huddled together in desperation. There were no champions or sorcerers to protect or discipline these deformed despoilers. Lances skewered strange bodily organs, swords slashed tentacles, arms, claws, hammers split brain boxes asunder. The slaughter was swift. Many hues of blood stained the trampled snow. Count Bernhard raised the vengeful Drakvald blade on high, gore dripping from its keen edge, and all swore that they would not rest until every last one of their foes were vanquished. The vanguard spirits were lifted for the first time as they stood amongst the mangled massacre. With such a leader, would they not be invincible? The enemy may be at the gates of Kislev, but with Magnus's army inside the city, the forces of chaos would learn defeat. The beast turns. It is not surprising, then, that Bernhard shed a tear of frustration when he beheld the reality. The infantrymen of the Empire army had failed to reach Kislev before the enemy host. The latter seethed around the city walls in frenzied action. Deep within this boiling mass could be seen the standards of the Reichsguard, White Wolf Swordsmen, Drakvald Forest Legion, and many other Empire regiments. It appeared that Magnus, upon arriving, had ordered the attack. The indomitable might of his armies had cut through the enemy, causing destruction and confusion, but had in turn been halted by the rallying forces of chaos. The Empire troops stood trapped upon a low hill overlooking the threatened city. The soldiers had formed shield walls, and standing shoulder to shoulder, sought to repulse yet another assault. Screaming hordes of hideous mutations swarmed up the corpse-littered slopes all around them. Mobs of beastmen, packs of fleshhounds, a mass of spawn. Even as Teach, Chaos Champion, charged in at the head of his dark knights, the deafening clash of arms rang out over the embattled countryside. Count Bernard could see amongst the defending ranks the yellow tunics of the Drakvald militia, who resolutely defended their ground, rivulets of blood flowed down the hillside, turning to rivers as the carnage ensued. Suddenly, the gates of Kislev were flung open, crying out in a blood-curdling battle cry, Aylmar Ben Jackson led his longbeards into the fray. Desperately, they attempted to carve an avenue through the enemy, such that Magnus might reach the city himself, but it proved a forlorn hope. Dragons that had circled lazily in the sky swooped down upon the irrepressible axe-wielding warriors. Mighty talons snatched bearded heroes from the field only to toss them back like scattered pebbles. Bloodied but unbowed, the decimated dwarves were forced back behind the ramparts. The Count knew that he must act decisively. The Empire army was contained and could offer no assistance to those within Kislev. The outer earthworks 
had long since been overrun, and it was clear that the last sweeping assault against Kislev was beginning. The piles of dead against the walls were such that no ladders would be needed to clamber over their heights. Fang speaks. Count Bernhard the Brave held the Runefang sword up for all his comrades to see, then pointed to the heart of the army before them. All could clearly see Nurgle's demon slaves as they cajoled and guided the servants of Chaos. Destroy them, and their forces would crumble. Mailed hands lowered visors. Never had the world witnessed a charge such as on that day. The finest flowering of manhood swept in serried ranks upon their foe, the Chaos multitude caught upon their rear, splintered, like a sharp axe cleaving the mightiest oak. Thus the cavalry wedge split their foe asunder. Runefang whistled in blurred arcs, a swirling scythe of death. Wherever Bernhardt led, the knights followed, carving a swathe of destruction. Bloodshot, yellowed, demonic eyes swiveled feverishly to the source of their doom. A horned, bulbous head leapt from bulky shoulders in a spray of blood, as the Drakvald blade sliced through a tendinous tree trunk of a neck. Lords of Chaos were forced to cower before Bernhard's might. Howls of despair echoed across the field as the Chaos Masters fell to the blows of the Imperial Cavalry. Disarray spread like Nurgle's rot over the battlefield. Emboldened militiamen swarmed from the city. Magnus signaled a countercharge. The foe were routed. Kislev was saved. Counting the slain fiends was impossible, the numbers were so great. Over a hundred bonfires were built to burn their putrescent corpses, each standing taller than the highest tower of Kislev. The fires burned for a full cycle of the moon before the last bone was reduced to ash. The tide of chaos had swept south only to break against the indomitable barrier of imperial arms. Let us all praise men such as Magnus and Count Bernhard the Brave, for as sure as the chaos moon wanes, it will wax again. Then our metal may also be tested. Should we start off with uh, the fall of Prague, or should we just uh, start where they were basically being steamrolled all of the way to Prague by the chaos forces? Yeah, well, I don't know if there's... Uh... Yeah, that much to be said about the the first battle. They were just completely yeah. crushed. Yeah, that was pretty much it. They were steamrolled all the way to Prague. Yeah, <laughs> but that wasn't uh, that surprising, even though they had uh, quite a lot of troops, as you mentioned, and uh, they didn't really have that much of a chance because they had the enemy had the dragon ogres, they had chosen warriors, they had marauders, they had demons, and they had a lot of mages or sorcerers just throwing waves of magic at the Kislevites and the Ostlanders, was it, that were reinforcing them? Yeah, I mean, yes, you said the the power of chaos was uh, advancing so much that they just had an infinite amount of uh, chaos power to draw from. So the, the thing I don't get, like, so they started besieging Prague, but it's always said that Engra is the one that breaks Prague. Uh, but I thought that they, like, broke Prague and then headed off to Kislev. Or did they just leave Engra there first and then Asvar started marching on Kislev? What do you think? I think it would be, uh, if it were, ta- it would probably be tactical just to leave a part of the army to lock up all of the troops in Prague and besiege it and then move the main army toward the gathering point of the forces of the rest of the Kislevite Empire and probably their allies yeah. at this point. Probably it's in the, the story that was just read that we have not 
heard yet. Or, I mean, we've read it before, but I don't remember all the details. Uh, but anyway, Prague is besieged, and then the remain, remaining riders uh, of the Kislevite army rode south to get help from the Empire. And uh, then Magnus, at this point, was coming to prominence in Nuln, and he had defeated a siege coven in Nuln before he started uniting the people. And then people were saying, oh my god, Magnus, you're so awesome, and you lead us. And then he went on a tour through the Empire to gather troops to come help Kislev because uh, their army had been beaten and Prague was under siege. Uh, so he went all over the Empire. He went to Mindenheim where he wanted their support, but they said no because he was Sigma Sigmarite, Sigma lover guy. Yeah. And uh, you don't follow the true god of Ulrich. But then he stepped into the flames of Ulrich unscathed. It's uh, quite interesting how many gods require you to stand in flames to prove your loyalty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he came out unarmed uh, and the people of Minheim accepted him as a cool dude and they went with him. So he went with his army towards Kislev, but then the the knights of the Empire and the remaining riders of Kislev went ahead because they thought that they wouldn't make it to Prague in time if they had to wait for all the, I don't know, all the, the mad... Uh, flagellants coming behind them. So they yeah. raced off to Prague and uh, uh, there they found that Prague was already overrun. I'm just looking at this map and it says R. Ulrich Christov. He must have ridden with the, the riders. Yeah, he was, uh, he was appointed the leader of the cavalry from by Magnus. After, after he denounced Magnus, Magnus went walked into the flames. He realized Magnus was true to to be the leader of the empire at this point. Pretty much, and just uh, got the honor by Magnus to lead the cavalry, and that's quite nice because uh, Middenheim is a city of great cavalry regiments, so it was probably wise to appoint one of their own to lead them. Yeah, also a great uh, political move uh, if he wants to consolidate power later. He'll let him lead the most yeah. glorious. Uh, Part of the army, uh, but yeah, yeah, they found out that Prague was already screwed like, really screwed. This is like a, a very known, well known event in the warmer world the, the destruction of Prague, yeah, where anger that sword just basically drowns the entire city in chaos energy and just warps everything. So, they've been holding yeah. up for months, just barely surviving in the city under I don't know how many attacks there were, like. 10 or something uh but then eventually the the power of chaos just grew bigger and bigger and then he eventually was just able to drown the city in chaos energy there's a reason why they're still moving faces in the walls of uh, prague and the city is called the haunted city of prague yeah before this it was as i said like a very a very prosperous city uh very much metropolitan and after this uh yeah, the, the the people that were still in there were just melted into the buildings and you couldn't tell what was what. Uh, it's just madness itself. And then once the storm withdrew, no one was left alive in a true sense. I mean, you might have been a door afterwards, but uh, not really alive. Um, yeah, you after... can read about uh, how Prague is as a city in the follow-up to Demon Slayer. Yes, yeah. Because that takes place... In an in another future siege of Prague. Yep, and uh, uh, in the the role playing book, the Realm of the Ice Queen, uh, 
there's a, there's a bit of information about Prague, which is really cool. Um, yeah, so they find that Prague is screwed, and then the cavalry goes after the the Chaos Army that was that had left the the siege, and we're going to rejoin uh, Asavar Cool in the siege of Kislev. So the yeah, the thing with the Magnus Apios was heading with his army to Kislev to basically meet up with the, the army that was already there so that they could go and help Prague uh, while the cavalry was trying to relieve them uh, a bit faster. But they find out that Prague is already sacked and Kislev is now under siege. And in Kislev, there are the Kislevites and also a lot of dwarves under High King Alrikson. Yep. And uh, they had been uh, defending the city valiantly. They were still holding. And then Magnus the Pius rocks up. And the dwarves inside try to do uh, a sally to break through. But they fail. And uh, then Magnus is battling chaos. And it's going quite well. But the chaos is uh, outnumbering them quite significantly. And uh, eventually they get surrounded. And it looks like they are going to be killed. But at this point... The battles in Ulfon has ended quite re- quite recently. The war against Malekith has ended because Malekith pretty much just in the last battle, he got a bit hurt and he just, hey, screw this, I'm going home. I left his army to die. It was nice of him. And this leads uh, Teclis to petition uh, Finnabar to go to the Empire and help out in the best way they can because they can't bring troops because the entire Ulfon is in shatters at this moment. But Teclis and two of his comrades, Finrir and Ertl, goes to the Empire, or to Kislev at this point, at this point, talks to Magnus and proposes, maybe we could teach you to use magic to stand yeah. against the forces of chaos. Do they teach them to use magic like for the battle or afterwards? I thought uh, they, they were just there to... They were there to... The uh, they had to... some advertisements showing how great it is. And also to pretty much train maybe some hedge wizards that were just saying that they didn't have powers and were in the army anyway, perhaps. Because they weren't allowed to use magic at this point. It's like being an unlicensed psyker in 40k. You just get a bolt round to the face. Yeah, that will be a very interesting thing to see in the new game, if it is set in the timeline, if they have wizards in their yeah. pair. And they, the high elves, being masters of the arcane, can do whatever magic they put themselves up to. They have the ability to control all of the lords of magic and their own high magic, but they realized that humans couldn't because then they would get corrupted. So instead, they devised the eight lords of magic, which later becomes the eight colleges of magic, and uh, thought them to just use the kind of magic they were most proficient with. Yeah. Yeah, in a way to resist temptation to to reach for too much (laughs) and become corrupted themselves yeah yeah because they are quite strict the the colleges of magic yeah you can't use fire and light magic um so then yeah the 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 high also join the magnus's portion of the army and they rock up to kislev the city and they get surrounded and then in true uh rohirrim fashion the riders that had been sent to prague that have been harassing uh the the rear guard of the chaos army on their way down to kislev uh, comes over the Hill of Heroes and the defenders of Kislev and Magnus can see them coming there and it's glorious just like the, the siege of uh, Minas Tirith just like the siege of uh, Helm's Deep just like the siege of uh, Vienna the riders show up yeah 
and uh, they attack chaos from the rear and uh, this gives uh, courage to the the besieged people inside of Kislev and they sally out and this time they break the encirclement and join up with Magnus's portion of the army and uh, being attacked from so many uh, quarters the chaos army breaks and starts running I have an inkling to why this could be given that Teclis, the most gifted mage uh, at this time at the time of this and in and in current timeline he did study a lot of Kalidor's old texts, so I wonder if he didn't imbue some of the magic with the, the some of the weapons with the, the anti-demon magic that Kalidor did during the first war against Chaos. Well, it would certainly be the time to do so. Yeah, because there is a, quite a shift when the elves actually... Well, we have three elves, one of them dies, eh, who cares? But these three elves pretty much changes the entire battle, well, the fortune of battles for the Empire at this point. Yeah. So he, he must have done more than just stand there and throw in a fireball into or two. <laughs> yeah, what, one of them dies, right? Yeah, Ertel dies battling a Keeper of Secret, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just so annoying because uh, it's like I've read so much about this battle, but from so many sources that I have no idea where I've read something or if it's even real. Yeah, or given, depending on which uh, iteration of the game you're reading it from, if it's changes or retcons yeah. or just overwrite something else <laughs> yeah but they do break the the army and uh, asavar cool is slain but Angra death sword is not and he escapes but i i haven't heard anything more of him he's probably a spawn by now <laughs> yeah uh but yeah we said that people usually confuse the picture of him just the uh, google Angra death sword it's a classic picture of just what a chaos or should look like with the orange background is awesome. I think yeah. I, I think I saw a, like an unhelmeted version of him at some point. It looks hideous, um, but it's really cool. Having slain Asavar, Magnus touched his golden hammer and reflected, "It was your gods who failed you. My god is always with me." Yeah, yeah. That is that is how it is. If you are a chaos champion, you will have to accept that one day. With no warning, your patrons will just be, get bored of you and just, eh, let him die. <laughs> yeah, it's the way it goes. Um, so yeah, after they defeated uh, Chaos, um, the world kind of turned into what we know it as now. Uh, yeah. Magnus was elected emperor of the <laughs> empire. Before that, he did a victory lap and just uh, destroyed Mordheim, liberating Ostland and Ostmark. And just clearing the Empire's forest of beastmen, just on his way home. <laughs> because at this point, uh, uh, Mordheim was destroyed in the uh, year 2000. So oh, yeah. three, 300 years later, just, eh, we're just going to level the city and put a hill on it and pretend nothing was ever here. That kind of yeah. style of ruination. I mean, if you if you have that like massive workforce behind you, motivated from just having beaten the largest chaos incursion since like the first one, <laughs> might as well. Yeah. Um, and they said he went and got uh, crowned the emperor, yeah. even though he was the fact the de facto emperor at this point already. It's hard to argue with an army of loyal troops that uh, makes up <laughs> nine tenths of the entire army of the empire. Yeah, yeah, and this was like the the start of a new era of greatness for the empire, and the empire is is united as we know it now, and they're like the strongest nation in the old world, which they were definitely not before this. Um, yeah, 
there was much more an equal matter between Britonia, the different factions of the empire, and Kislev. But after this, the empire is united and they are really strong. And the empire, oh, the, uh, sorry, Kislev is totally screwed. <laughs> yeah, well, half of Kislev is pretty much gone. Literally yeah. gone. I mean, the ha- yeah, half of the country has been just flooded with not just chaos armies, but like the, the raw stuff of chaos itself. As like the whole north is screwed. And then, yeah, we didn't mention this, but Sven, Sven Bloodyhand that we mentioned earlier, he was besieging Erengrad as well, their really rich port city, which was not taken, I think. They, they managed to fight him off. Uh, but Prague, so K- Kislev consists of three cities, basically. Erengrad, Prague, and Kislev. So Erengrad was besieged, handled it. Kislev was besieged and narrowly managed it. And Prague was just totally screwed. So they had to level Prague and yeah. build it up again. But it's still cursed. But Erengrad was probably sa- more safe because it's way away from the other two cities. So they sent a smaller force just to keep them occupied. Because it is a great port city. So you could potentially bring in troops at that point over there. Yeah. So they blockaded the port as well, and sent raiding fleets across, down the coast of the Empire, or the entire old world, pretty much, yeah. just to keep everyone busy to not send troops north. Because they might be, cha- be forces of chaos, but they're not stupid. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, another thing with Prague is, like, it's situated north, close to the High Pass, which is a route to go to Cathay and, like, the east to trade. So it's also a big trade city, even though it's located in the heartland, so to speak. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, a really big economic economical hub for the whole country and totally demolished and like the whole country is just full of uh, things that didn't leave after the invasion i mean the, yeah the the chaos army scattered but it was far from like defeated or like the, they weren't killed there was just a massive army still that just ran off into like the the closest uh, forest or just a uh, rocky area that they could find and yeah. they're just raiding things since then yeah that is one of the reasons why magnus probably took his army and cleaned up more uh, all of the forest on his way home just to get rid of all the beastmen that has separated from the massive army of chaos yeah yeah but they also like in the empire they had, had beastmen. I mean, they they grow up there, so he needed yeah. to cleanse them away. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, Kislev's army was pretty much defeated, so they didn't really have the luxury of doing that while it was it was hot, so to speak. So they just had a bunch of uh, nasty things left there. And for the two hundred years until the current timeline, like Kislev was still pretty screwed. Like no one, yeah. none of the Tsars had tried to really clean it up because they just didn't have the the money or the ability to do it. Not until the Serena, Catherine's father, Boris Boca, the, the bear rider guy, he is like the first one since then to have said like, all right, guys, we need to deal with this now. It's been way too long. We need to clean up the country. And he died uh, in a battle against Greenskin, trying to rid them from his land. Yeah. And... Going back to Magnus, he ruled for a really long time for a human. Just a little trinket from uh, the elves, maybe? Casual blessing? Yeah, or just uh, having the the opportunity to, once he actually got became emperor and uh, helped found the Colleges of Magic, and maybe just had the best healthcare and food and uh, living conditions in the empire. That probably helped. 
but let's say it's a blessing of Sigmar. Let's uh, say it's that. Oh yeah. By the way, is this also the time when Karak Vlag disappeared? In this same time period, the the one that was just uh, spirited away by a Slanesh demon, or is that earlier? Is this this lost hold? I think the desolation hold. Uh, just looking at this map now, and there's Karak Vlag, uh, and it's not like taken off the map. In two thousand three hundred and one. In an imperial candle, ca- calendar, a huge incursion of chaos flooded southward along the world's edge mountains. Karak Vlag was engulfed. After the great war against chaos, dwarf scouts from Karas Karak searched for Karak Vlag, but no trace remained. It was as if Karak Vlag had never existed. Yeah. While some lore masters may harbor suspicions of this fate, Karak Vlag is not a topic spoken of by any dwarf. So, yeah, it probably just teleported away. Yeah, I think it was a Slanish demon, or probably Sinchman, now I think of it, sounds more likely. But yeah, it's on the map here, and I was just thinking, like, that that's also, like, the, the most northern hold in the actual World Edge Mountains, and not in Norska. And uh, that was still going strong before this whole thing, and then just vanished. Maybe they just managed to annoy and hold out so long that uh, they had to do something drastic to get rid of them, the Chaos Forces. And, which is... G- and that's a good thing because sometimes dwarves, when they are faced with large forces of chaos occupying their territory, they just start worshipping burning cows and demons <laughs> instead. Yeah. So I'd rather see them just go disappearing than worshipping burning cows. Maybe these guys just start worshipping burning goats? Never know. Never know. But uh, this uh, war, as you mentioned before, started off uh, forming what we see as the empire in Imperial Calendar 2500-ish, which is 6th edition and onwards. Yeah. Like, they, the war of, and then the wars and the secession of uh, Middenheim, Midland, and all of those uh, states, they were reintegrated into the empire because they were almost separate countries before the Great War of Chaos, against Chaos. Yeah. And also uh, Talabheim, I think had also seceded, and uh, yeah, Talapan was like the first to secede in the yeah. of the Emperors. But yeah, I so, mean, they they seem to have been become a bit weaker after seceding. I think. Yeah, they they're not in a good uh, place uh, ge- geographically to stand up against everyone around them. Middle yeah. land is quite uh, well situated to se- secede, given that it's not surrounded by so many other uh, princedoms, so to speak. Yeah, And the elves after this, they're just uh, don't really care about anyone else again until the next decimation, uh, I guess. Well, Teclis and his surviving friend did stay quite a few years in the Empire to help teach uh, the human mages magic that they didn't really understand what was the point of. Wingardium Leviosa. Yeah. Just setting up Hogwarts. Pretty much. Must have been quite a challenge to uh, focus on the limited powers of the humans to just guide them into choosing one path that they're strongest in and not uh, having them branch out. And as we said before, being corrupted because that's quite yeah. easy if you're a human. Must have been um, like they would have to restructure their whole curriculum as well. Okay, the first 10 years we're going to learn how to write the, the alphabet in a nice way. And then half their students would have become too old, or some of them would even have died. I don't know. Yeah. And then you start morning, 8 to 11, light a candle. 
That's, yeah. the fi- that's the fire mage school for two years. Try to let a candle with your mind. And then you have the lore of the heavens, guys. So just at night, look at the sky. Tomorrow, look at the sky and see if something's different. Maybe you're straight. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if we can say anything more uh, about the, the war itself. It is kind of like chop, chop, chop in what happens. Like five points. As for cool attacks, Magnus the Pious responds, the siege of Kislev, and then they're defeated. Which is yeah. the way you could describe any siege, really. Same with Minas Tirith, if you would do it short like that. But it's just like the, the, there are a lot of sources about it, but they all kind of say the same thing. And they have like one detail difference, depending on who's selling it. Yeah, but the, as snippets go, the snippets of the Great War Against Chaos are quite a lot larger than other battles. They're just like three lines of text. So there's yeah, quite a lot to go on. And this is, as we said, this is almost what happens before uh, Storm of Chaos, because it's long enough between the Storm of Chaos and this war that the humans are starting to forget what actually happened. Yeah, it's like the, a mythical event for the humans, or at least an empire. Yeah, which is uh, a, a bit of an annoyance for the dwarves that were in Kislev that knows exactly what happened. <laughs> They're still there yeah. 200 years later and keeping a check on the Chaos Wastes. Yeah, it's like last month for them. Yeah. All right, then. Very nice chat. I hope uh, someone hasn't heard about this uh, story before. I hope you enjoyed it. And for those that have read about it, I hope you also enjoyed it to uh, revisit it because it is a fascinating event in the world and it is a massive uh, shift in in politics and in in everything, really, (laughs) what happens in the world. So I really hope that they will revisit this part in the, the new game. And it's also that you start to get amazed that the empire went for several hundred and almost thousands of years before they actually got the College of Magic. They just burned mages before that. Yeah, must be different in the different provinces as well. Probably like uh, in the Talabheim in Talabekland. They were probably pretty chill with the, the beast mages. Yeah, and uh, Mordheim was, was attractive enough to get... Uh, Weird stone meteor rights crashing onto it, so... Yeah. The Great War Against Chaos. Being the 157th year of the reign of King Finnevar the Seafarer. Report of High Mage Teclus of the Tower of Hope. Sire Belanir, in answer to your request for an account on my mission in the realm of men, I send you the present report. In this parchment, I have recorded the sum of all knowledge harvested during my battles and travels through this vast and dangerous land. The calendar of the Empire is reckoned from the year of Sigma's crowning, year one, but as you can imagine, this is highly speculative and based on rather imprecise records. The current Emperor, Magnus the Pious, was crowned in the year 2304. In the far north of the Old World, far beyond the borders of the Empire, is a desert of stone and shifting sands where periods of increased magical activity overwhelm the land, leaving behind twisted rocks and a barren landscape as the magic subsided. This blasted desolation is known to the men of the Empire as the Chaos Wastes, or the Northern Wastes, and it is surrounded in turn by only slightly less corrupted lands of distorted trees and broken rocks, called the Troll Country. All these lands lie to the north of the Empire, beyond the chill lands of Kislev. 
The waste lands are inhabited by all manner of monstrous creatures, and it is here that the armies of Chaos marshal their strength. When the tides of magic flow strongly, the realm of Chaos expands, the northern wastes are swallowed up, and the armies of Chaos pour down through the empire, the troll country, Genkisla. As these Chaos armies push south, the slaughter further strengthens the tides of magic, and the realm of Chaos grows ever larger, threatening to completely overwhelm the northern regions. The furthest the realm of Chaos has ever expanded was during the Great Chaos Incursion, known amongst men as the Great War Against Chaos. The power of Chaos had been growing steadily for some years. Beastmen prowled the dark forests, and many outlying human settlements were abandoned. The deep division within the provinces of the former empire ensured that none had sufficient forces to root out the beastmen. Warriors of Chaos, human outcasts from the wars, flocked to join the beastmen and other foul creatures. As the power of Chaos grew, the warp gates began to spew dark magic into the world, and the realm of Chaos expanded horrifyingly quickly. In the winter of the 138th year of King Finnebar's reign, the Chaos armies moved southwards towards the Empire, fueled by the growing darkness of Chaos. Demons marched with them, fed by the fresh tides of life, giving magical energy, and everywhere the agents of Chaos became ever more powerful. In the heartlands of the Empire, Chaos sorcerers and worshippers of the Dark Gods emerged from their secret conclaves to attack human society from within. As the dead days of winter engulfed the old world, the Chaos army struck. The northern lands of Kislev were quickly overwhelmed. A mighty army of Kislevites and the Elector Count of Ostland were utterly crushed north of Prague, and the Chaos army advanced along the western foothills of the world's edged mountains. The spring of the following year was noted as the coldest for centuries, and the Chaos army crossed the River Linsk above Prague, destroying a contingent of Kislevites defending its bridges. With the last of the Kislevite armies defeated, Chaos hordes advanced upon Prague, and they sieged to the city. The siege of Prague lasted throughout the spring and summer, during which time the brave defenders defiantly held back the greater part of the Chaos forces. Eventually, as winter set in and the year drew to a close, Prague fell and the hordes of Chaos ran amok. The seething realm of Chaos swept over the city, engulfing it, and Prague was changed forever, its stone walls and buildings melding into hellish and human shapes. Those citizens unlucky enough to still be alive were swept into the maelstrom, their living bodies fused into the walls of the city itself, so that it was no longer possible to tell man from stone. Distorted faces leered from walls, agonized limbs writhed from the pavements, and pillars of stone shrieked in madness with voices that once came from the human race. Prague had become a living nightmare and a grave warning of what lay ahead should the Chaos armies conquer the land. Remnants of the defeated Kislevite army fled south, and word of their defeat spread throughout the land. From amongst the confusion and panic of those troubled times, a leader arose, Magnus, a noble of Null. He would later come to be known as Magnus the Pious, due to his unflinching devotion to the cult of Sigma, and the ideals of nationhood that Sigma still signified in the divided empire. Magnus was a great orator, whose rousing speeches soon created a massive following among the common folk of the empire. He marched northwards from city to city, addressing the people in markets, places, and town squares, gathering about him an army of devoted troops. Elector counts and burgenmasters recognized in Magnus a leader. They were all prepared to follow. 
and soon the citizen army was swollen by provincial soldiers and the troops of the elector count themselves. it was at this time that the ship of peter laszlo, dispatched by magnus in search of help, reached ulthuan's shores. as you already know, brother jotul, brother fenrir and i volunteered to travel to the old world to help the beleaguered empire. we arrived just in time to join the army of magnus, an army in desperate need of protection against the dark powers of the sorcerers of chaos. by the time magnus' army reached the sheer sided rock that is middenheim it was the largest single force in the history of the empire and magnus had to divide his troops into two armies as no single place could provide enough food and water to support such a massive men. the first army consisting mostly of the kislevites and fast moving mountain troops marched with all possible speed to prague in the hope of relieving the siege. brother fenrir accompanied them but the army arrived too late and stopping only to destroy part of the chaos army's rear guard they quickly turned south in pursuit of the main chaos force. brother jotul and i joined the larger second army led by magnus himself. we marched north towards kislev hoping to reprovision at the capital before continuing onward. we discovered that kislev was already under siege by the chaos hordes and attacked immediately. the city was defended by the remaining part of the kislevite army and a large dwarf host that had marched north when the fall of prague became known in the halls of karasakarak. Concentrating on the trapped defenders, the Chaos Army was ill-prepared for this fresh assault from Magnus' army. And initially, the battle went well. The Chaos forces were scattered and their leaders unable to prevent wholesale slaughter. But soon the greater numbers of the Chaos force began to tell, and Magnus' army was gradually pushed back into a defensive circle. When a rampaging keeper of secrets smashed through our ranks, Brother Jurgl gave his life in a heroic attempt to destroy it. His efforts weakened the demon so that I was able to banish the abomination. But ours was a grievous loss. The dwarves inside Kislev attempted to break out to help Magnus, but were held back and forced to stay within the city walls. As the Chaos Army regrouped for its final attack, the Kislevites, returning from Prague, arrived from the north and struck the Chaos Force in the rear. Caught between no less than three armies, the Chaos Hordes faltered and charged in every direction, bewildered and confused by this new turn of events. The Kislevites were driven into wild fury at what they had witnessed in Prague, and the Chaos Army began to crumble before their implacable fury. Magnus seized the opportunity, leading his troops forward as the remaining dwarves and Kislevite defenders burst from the city itself. The Chaos troops broke and fled. Thousands cut down as they turned to run. The old world was saved, and the realm of chaos shrank away to the north. Magnus was elected emperor in the new year. The elector counts had no choice in Magnus's election. The people demanded it and were not to be denied. Magnus the Pious immediately set about restoring order to the provinces of the empire, and is providing an extremely able emperor. The servants of chaos were hunted down in the forests, and many wild and long-abandoned lands have been resettled. Brother Jurgl was buried with great honor, and later Magnus requested that Brother Finrir and I teach the secrets of our magic to his people. This new emperor had seen at first hand the importance of magic in holding back the tide of chaos, and needed men able to defend themselves from the power of darkness. After long debate, we decided to do so, and, with your authorization, I began to teach them the ways of magic. Men are not as able as our race in controlling the winds of magic, 
but they have proven to make extremely capable students in elemental magic. I founded an academy in Altorf, where gifted men from across the old world gather to learn the ancient secrets of magic. This institution has been named the College of Magic, and is divided into eight orders, each specializing in one particular lore of elemental magic. You will be pleased to know that many of the principles governing learning in Hoeth apply here as well. I appointed Volanus, my most promising student, as Supreme Patriarch of the College of Magic, leaving to him the powerful staff of Brother Europe as a symbol of his position. I feel my work here is done. I miss the peace of the White Tower, and so I shall soon be on my way back to our beloved Old Love. May truth be with you, Teclis. We're done here. <laughs> yeah, we're done here. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. Yep. Bye. Bye.